Tonight, we discuss Strange New Worlds Episode 5, then we'll continue with Kenobi Part 3, and conclude tonight's three-hour special with the return of the Orville. All this coming up right now on The Writer Brothers. Welcome to your Tuesday night home for Star Wars, Star Trek, and the Orville for the month of June, because that's basically what we're covering. We might do a special for the uh, new Gina Carano movie this month, but we will discuss that later. I am, of course, joined by John's personal favorite, Corion, Witch in Residence, as well as John's personal favorite, Mr. CC Karaoke, John's personal favorite, Mr. Brandon Devil Cry 3, and of course, John's ultra super personal favorite himself, Boyo Zapatos. Gentlemen, it has been one hell of a week for Star Wars, Star Trek, and of course, the triumphant return of the Orville. I am so excited to have this discussion. I've been looking forward to it all week. So much to unpack, which is why we decided to extend tonight's broadcast to three hours instead of just our regular two. So, of course, our listeners on the podcast. Um, don't worry, this isn't necessarily going to be a normal thing often, but when we have not just so much content going on, but just the, uh, oh, just so much happened across all these shows this week. Not so much for I mean, Star Trek was pretty lighthearted. Star Trek was definitely the easier one, which is why we're going to do it first. And of course, we will begin with what we did not like about Strange New Worlds 5. And so I'm going to ask, actually, instead of picking somebody, who wants to go first with Star Trek? Well, given the sheer volume of volunteers, I guess I'll go first. <laughs> All right. So we had what I'm I'm renaming this episode Vulcan Freaky Friday because uh, that seems to be kind of what it what it was. Um, once again, my my standard complaint about the room sizes, like why does Spock need a room that that's bigger than my first apartment? Um, it, it's just huge. And I mean. You, you could even see his fiance being like, I, I don't know about this place. Uh, so there we go there. Um, also, I, I feel like even with Spock being part human, I still don't see him decking a dude because he's calling him on it. I feel like that might be going a little far. Um, I think they might be teasing the nurse chapel Spock relationship more than a little early uh, going. I'd like to have seen that maybe like a next season kind of thing. Um, Because, you know, as much as, like, I get like, there is kind of a destiny of them flirting, man, I kind of want to see Spock and T'Pol, or to bring Make It somehow. Like that, I've actually kind of gotten invested in them having a decent, reasonable relationship. And I know it's going to fail. You know, I, I, I know a dude's shirt is going to get ripped and somebody's going to wind up in the sand. But I still kind of want it to happen. So, I don't know. That's where I'm kind of at right now. I thought it was interesting that, you know, to, they've given to bring kind of the backstory of, 
she's this kind of negotiator that goes out and talks criminals into coming back to you know get rehabilitated through just her insurmountable logic but still can't understand why Spock would you know put duty before you know the relationship it seems kind of weird that way like you'd, you'd think she'd be able to logic this out but no, I mean those are my general I, complaints I feel like that one that was the whole like point of the episode <laughs> in a way was like the idea was that like she kept thinking that if she was able to explain her job in such a way that like she was able to also get time off whereas every time he got any time off he also was getting called back and I think that like she just never understood that like he wasn't being called back like everybody else like they weren't calling any red shirts or any ensigns back to the bridge immediately like he's number two right and I think she finally needed to like the chance to see that which is like what the whole I guess like the whole point of the episode but at the same time like the resolution didn't seem real like like her response still was but you're gonna learn to make time for me right not like oh i totally now understand why you don't make time for me and it's not your fault it's your job's fault and i respect that instead it was figure it out <laughs> yeah but I'm, I'm, I, oh go for it Brandon. no you're i mean you're good you can or no all you I was going to say, like, I'm kind of on the same page with Corion in, like, a weird both yes and no to what he said. Like, on one hand, I agree with him where it's, like, it's kind of weird, especially when you con- when you consider the fact that after they've swamped and she's been taken away because they need Spock, and she's been le- uh, he's been left in her body in his room, right? Then people come for her for her job, and Spock's like... Uh, it's not a good time. Some things are going on right now, and they're and then they pull the card of like, you're the only person that can do this. You have to come. And it's like, my how the turntables. Like literally, what would have happened if she was in her body at that moment? She would have gone. So then you have this. Then you have the convoluted argument of like, well, you do this all the time. It's like, you just you just did it. So like, what do you want? Like, on the other hand, you could take the angle. That because that's her job and her whole job is literally talking people into submission of viewing her as right, that she then approaches this relationship in the same fashion of like, no, this is what I do. I outsmart people all day, every day. The smartest criminal minds that we Vulcans have, I talk into submission. So I'm going to talk you into submission because I believe I'm right, so regardless, you're wrong. Because... I am a debater. That's all I do. So, like, you could kind of look at it as, like, this one lens of, like, "Mm, it's kind of a straw man argument you've now made. Or, on the other hand, like, you could, which I think is probably what they were going for. Like, I'm definitely with Corian. I'm not a huge, it's kind of that, I'm not a big fan of the whole point of that. But I could at least see if their angle was that she's, like, this, I'm intelligent, domineering and I talk people to, you know, admit that they're wrong and get rehabilitated, I could see how they can make that argument of, like, she's approaching her relation the same way because that's what she knows. Like, that's where her headspace is. So I I could see this angle of being sense, and I could see how that would cause the relationship to go into ruin, even if 
like you know they have the pseudo makeup situation of like oh i kind of sort of understand your position now but also spock is the show's very clearly going down the road of like spock's is being spock's spock is being influenced by the humans around him she is not she is still hard up vulcan and i in, over intel i intelligence over people and i mean that the way i said it um that i could easily see that just falling using that as a falling point later down the road and like this being the point of like really showing that like this is going to be you know so this could be set up for their like ultimate wedge like this it, is the thing that they could justifies do that. the breakup um, beyond because i i don't know what you're referencing corian when you say like somebody getting their shirt cut off in the sand like yeah i, I assume uh, that's from actual yeah uh, so to to spoil anyone who hasn't watched the original series when spock goes into ponfar which is their their mating season he comes back to consummate the marriage with T'Pring and finds out that T'Pring is no longer interested in being married to him and mm. instead wants to marry this dude named Cybeck. Uh, and what winds up happening is, so what she does is she goes, I'm challenging you for, for a fight to the death over mating rights with me. And for my champion, I choose Captain Kirk. So no matter what happens, I either get rid of Spock or he goes away for murder and I still get to be with Cybeck. I still win. And that, that that's interesting too. I feel like the nightmare he had then becomes an interesting double to that. It's for him, him fighting himself becoming human. If he fights, uh, is it Pike or Kirk he ends up fighting? Kirk. Kirk. Then that's that's effectively like Kirk is what ha- is that human side then at that point. That's, that's an interesting – that makes that dream even more interesting I having like that context. dirty double entendre to drop on episode five. Yeah, but well, like, the thing is is like, only I feel people like who that's... know old Star Trek could even see that as a double but entendre. See, that's that's, that's clever. Mean, like, that's what makes it kind of like dirty is that like they're really reaching – for the diehards so late in the game it's like we finally understand that you guys care about the finer final d finer details but now you're suddenly like now you're gonna put this in and like like to me i feel like you don't start giving ode until you've earned recognition as like a part of the the groups like once you become part of the trek universe and everybody respects you as canon then you can start giving your odes to your like who invented you like who brought you up was it tng was it tos like the orville i think is the perfect example of that it's like it takes so much time to build its own universe its own way and then you start seeing lots of the parody lots of the we're going to talk about the things that they never talked about because it really frustrates me that they never got into this. But that's when you start doing your odes. You don't do your odes until you've earned your own title, your own status. I mean, I, I actually liked the episode a lot, but but on that point, one thing that, that I found with this show regard, with regards to the writing... There's always that that bit where it's at least for me anyways it's like 
don't overcomplicate the script when you're writing. And, and I, I, I haven't written a book. It's, it's not, I don't have anything in the bookstores. You know, I can't claim to be that level of professional. But, you know, it's like, okay, I didn't mind the spacewalk. No, there was a kind of comedy to it. There, it was kind of cool. I was, but sick. I'm always asking. I'm always asking, and a little bit. I'll admit a little bit less with this episode, but but and more especially with the previous four. But like, was there a simpler way to to go about that comedy uh, that that wasn't quite so like that that didn't need quite as much explanation as a space force field? Yeah. It- well- for me, to me, I feel like that was just part of the coolness to it because, like, it does make sense that that shield could be refracted into some form of tunneling system. But at the same time, like, like honestly, it was just like a flex of their knowledge and their ability, and that felt part of like what the show should be doing. That felt original to the show. There was no way. That any like Gene Roddenberry could not have afforded that CGI, that level of effects. I liked the scene. Yeah, I'm just exactly. asking the that, question in general. Like, like in the in the pilot episode where they where they had that that uh, the gene changing thing, and it's like the you know the people's ears are like like Spock's ear is changing in in seconds. I I, I mean I was willing to appreciate it, but I was like, how does my my brain was getting caught on how would, does that make sense instead of instead of just yeah, enjoying it. And, no, and with, with, with the brain switching in this one, it was kind of the same thing. I, I like Freaky Friday. But then at mm-hmm. the end of the episode, they had to kind of like throw in some like, we we found a medical solution to this. And I'm yeah. like, and my brain was stopping again to be like, okay. So the, the brain I was still enjoying it, which yeah. is a good sign, right? But Yeah, the brain switching aspect didn't bother me a lot because it, it's very much, they definitely, anyone who's complaining about it must have skipped Star Trek 3. Because this is not anything that this has been established in canon that you can move your that the Vulcans can move their consciousness and so it's like sure it seems like a bit much and it was a bit it was a silly episode. It it didn't a lot of feel, TOS was a silly episode though. Most episodes of TOS, while you do have balance of terror and a couple of others that I can't remember off the top of my head, you do have those those great moments in, in the original series. A lot of the original series was cheesy. There's, and I understand you guys' complaints too about the lack of professionalism on the bridge. There's scenes of uh, the original series mm-hmm. where they ended with the entire crew laughing on the bridge while while they're on watch, while they're just going. That's how they end the episode. Now, I'm not saying that it's necessarily bad. Is it necessarily good? Is it a sign of the period? I think that Star Trek has always had an amount of cheese to it across all the series. I mean, look at Deep Space Nine taking out to the hollow suite. This is so much complaining about cheese as it is about forced cheese. Like, they're putting too much effort into the cheese. Like, there is that, like, they're getting into pseudoscience, but then they actually take an extra mile to explain how it's not pseudoscience in the pseudoscience. Yeah, and that's and a symptom that's... of the new Trek that that unfortunately is is what it is. I don't like it a whole well, lot. And it I think is it pretty could be funny, smarter, though. but See, the, it is what it the is. The counter to that is the problem is it's a do damned if you do, damned if you don't. Because the problem comes back to if you if you don't then explain out the pseudoscience that we would probably take as just like all right, cool. It's it's a sci-fi movie. There's going to be some, you know, there's a certain level of logic you're willing to kind of look past. The problem is if you don't, then the people who aren't like your 
typical sci-fi like people people who the other part of their audience that are watching it because it looks interesting and it looks showy are gonna that's gonna lose them if they don't explain it because they're gonna be like well this just doesn't make sense they don't even explain it and it's like well <laughs> yeah. they don't really need to so then they try to counter that by like oh here's not to say it's good necessarily but the reality is they're gonna get to backlash me, regardless well to me i feel like they just went too far in another direction so like the idea of the ritual like taking place that these are two engaged hearts that are fighting right so like the way they really should have done it was like they ended up calling their parents and they're like oh maybe you guys are meant to be and it like sparks this whole like no that happens with vulcan sometimes you have to go through this ritual and it is that aggressive because of our lore and and that boom explains it away and explains why it got fixed instead of adding in a whole extra science that fixes it that yeah, i think is yeah, where I, it gets it, overdone is it's like you were you're fine going into this freaky friday you're fine with it being the logic group with the magical telepathy powers switching bodies none of that bothers us oh now there's a science that explains it i, I, I am also going to say especially though because though. like the vulcans didn't even have that science like yeah. it was humans that grabbed no, no, and they, created the science for a thing that has happened to Vulcans before. They did yeah, have it. There, That's there, why I pinched Star Trek 3. But go ahead, Corian. There's one thing I do want to say. Um, did anyone feel like the scene from uh, Super Troopers after them saying hijinks so many times? Like that if you guys say hijinks one more time, if somebody says it, I'm going to Vulcan neck pinch them. But like I'll that's where I was at. I've I'll be honest with so you. Much of TNG, that's the cheese that I'm so used to now. Like that happens every third episode. It seems like there's a word that gets overused too much, and Data keeps having to re-explain it to somebody, and you're like, "Oh my gosh, I know what that word means." Yeah. Also, welcome to Reckless Raccoon, uh, indicating that they're watching in the chat uh, with an emoji. It seems. Um, so yeah, was there uh all right, so was there any other major gripes with this one? I felt overall this was one of the series best. I mean, 4 I, was yeah. definitely more intense, but I think 5 really sets the tone for these uh for these well, more fun and character development episodes to look forward to. Yeah. I for sure don't want to say that these gripes are in any way major. Like as far as my complaints go, we're getting down to the picky 1 to 2 minutes of the 45 50 minute episode so like i feel like i really we should definitely get that known that like well, as far as complaints go i'm complaining liked. about the words yeah my only concerns with the show were the ones i've had from the start which is sometimes i feel like maybe they're overcomplicating the script and i feel like it's a really tough sell to use the existing characters and lore especially if you're not really gonna stringently stick to it but it was my favorite of the first five Yeah, I mean, honestly, um, there was a lot to like in this one. Um, this episode was just fun, and it harkens back to some of the just fun episodes that you saw in TOS and TNG, where they just had a good time playing the characters and getting up to some of the goofy nonsense that you get yeah, up I mean, to honestly, um, in, when you're doing this sort of stuff for a long, protracted period of time. Like, I 100% believe in, like, Enterprise Bingo. And like TNG. people would come Where up they with just crazy things like, yeah, good time. go sign this panel 
um, that's been with the ship since its initial construction because it's fun and it's funny and finding in creative ways to figure out how to get out to that panel to sign it is kind of cool, right? Um, these are the kind of things that I'm 100% like, yeah, I could totally see some guy trying to solve the myth of if you're chewing bubble gum and go through the transporter, does it regain its flavor? Right? Like that's the kind of nonsense I could see a bunch of people getting up, getting up to on board a ship, especially when you've been like out for like a year and you've got nothing better to do than come up with crazy ways of doing things. This totally, totally works agree. for me. Right. That scene where they're walking on the ship and manipulating uh, the shields to do it. Honestly, that is like one of the most clever things that I think I've seen Strange New Worlds do yet. I yeah, really like that. I thought each that was other, great. Shooting each other felt like something that me and my brothers have cared about since the very like first laser we ever saw. Like, what would it feel like to at the lowest setting? Like, it it was it wasn't exactly like oh this is the funniest thing I've ever seen, but it was like the most organic experience i've seen on star trek in a while like that felt like something i would do in that situation i felt the writing pulled the whole episode up the acting was better everyone was having fun Mm -hmm. it was it was quick it was witty i mean whether or not one would feel like everything landed like i wrote down one that i thought was just the greatest was between spock and tripring and he's like are you disappointed I am realistic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, you know. My my that... f- my genuine favorite part of the whole episode was when so with the whole scenario which is like the other it's like uh that that episode very much was like two, it, it was less subplot and more like we had two main plots going on. Um and the one with and I I never remember anyone's name but the the security chief lady and the other officer number one uh hmm number one in union sing yeah number one in union c seeing sing uh fi- finding out about the sh- uh the bingo and then after having been had the comment of you're not fun like that i liked it also in the sense of like i agree completely cory that is some nonsense that i could definitely see happening bunch of goofy just dumb stuff and also the reality of if someone has a comment made like that and then left alone with someone else who 100 percent just like push them and be like yeah no we should totally do this yeah let's do this thing it's ridiculous let's go ahead and do it they'll do it and then they're gonna have a good time because they're just being ridiculous with no one else around like that was the most fun like that was my favorite part was that whole little like story arc they have Leading up to that them was, shooting each other, like that was it was cool. It was yeah, fun. that was definitely it was really interesting though because like at at the end of like each activity in the bingo, they just kept asking each other like, "Is this fun?" Which like really <laughs> spoke to their character like yeah, they're so I, yeah. into this like like they're so used to just living life the way they live it that then when mm. they actually like compare and contrast it to people with quote unquote fun metrics they're like i Mm. i got shot i'm i mean (laughs) this hurts yeah i know what it feels like now but also ow yeah they're not i agree with having fun and and but at the same time like they kept pushing through they were just like i what if it's at the very end 
and even then at the very end when they finally did it they were like the way that they did it the best out of everybody who's ever been on the enterprise they took their authority and made a shield specially designed for them to do something that everybody else had done the hard way and they like they're like no okay this is fun like this is <laughs> they had to you use know, their... like, <laughs> like yeah they're like okay wait our perks actually are useful and fun we've just never actually used them to their fullest you know yeah no yeah that 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 stuff was that was really cool to to see that interaction and like you said like them just being like is this fun like is this what's supposed to be fun like no there's no flavor back in this gum like i don't get it (laughs) because there are people like that you will meet people who like they just they don't have that same perception like i don't i don't get it I know in a previous episode we were talking about how the show kept having huge stakes and I was thinking about that when I was watching this one because it was genuinely low stakes. It was just like actual character development, having fun and I appreciated that and I would love to see a little bit more of it, of those like, you know, know, literal slice of life stories, Mm -hmm. you know. I was thinking about that a few minutes ago while Corian was walking, or not walking, talking when Corian was talking uh i was thinking about how like i was like yeah and the, they kept they they did exactly what i was saying of like the stakes you you cannot constantly just make the stakes the highest stakes you have you have to bring it down and this was definitely a situation where the biggest stakes at play were the the professionalism look of uh spock and female spock because i can't remember her name <laughs> to bring like the biggest the biggest thing at stake was their reputations which to be fair for a vulcan being taken seriously is a big deal so like in a sense that like that's very but that is a personalized stake which on the reality of the whole is much lower than everything else so like it's a way to keep a stake going having some sort of stakes at play without it being just some like because what's the worst that happens someone loses a job or someone isn't gets embarrassed and looks bad and front of the Vulcan like yeah that's bad but realistically for us that's we don't care like and like straight from the start of the episode it's like hey the Enterprise got beat up on high stakes in the last episode Mm -hmm. now they're going into space dock to get repairs it's it's a natural sequitur and like it's like okay you're not going to go from the ship getting completely wrecked and then in the next episode suddenly everything's repaired and we're going to get completely wrecked again no they went to have surely well, while they while the ship was getting repaired and hopefully in the next episode they can kind of slowly ramp up they're going to go back into space maybe and, and you know encounter something that's not going to wreck the, the ship or kill everybody but you know it will, no that's you know, actually really interesting challenge I, just them. Thought, I just thought about the other episodes so far and the ship actually hadn't taken major damage minus the shield shots in the first three episodes interesting yeah and then yeah this <laughs> episode yeah, the shields the Gorn, had always just gotten they lower got it wrecked low. yeah yeah exactly and then with the gorn suddenly they got you know messed with and they actually had to go and take a break and it's funny because that's exactly what i asked for between episode four and five i was like i was like i'm getting really tired of these high stakes every episode like let's have some normal character development on normal standards and then then next it's this so you know what i'm so you know then what we have to say writers of strange new worlds thank you very much for listening to our podcast (laughs) we appreciate that you're taking our input seriously and uh you know please feel free to 
yeah. Comment, to, share to, your thoughts yeah, on our thoughts. Yeah, don't forget yeah, to like, you know, and subscribe, and, and, shout and out. If you friends. want to grab ideas from us, like just go ahead. You're welcome to, you know, use us in the episodes. Say that yeah. an ancient data link from TWB is the reason why we know something about something. I don't know. Severance. Yeah. Yeah, and, and also, if they are listening, also, hey man, I'd really like an episode where people are in trouble on the ground as a small group and not just the entire ship that would be cool <laughs> yeah and also i'm gonna go ahead and uh i'm gonna explain so i really like the episode overall but i'm actually gonna share with you guys a little bit maria about with my, Tantelli. welcome my hello past history who maria with Tantelli. oh oh look at that uh for some reason it's not displaying on my multi-stream so yeah you're gonna have to watch the chats for me today um, yes, Maria, welcome. Welcome back. Good to see you here. Glad to have you. Um, but I'm going to share with you guys. So um, you might find this hard to believe, but I've actually written some fan fiction before in my life. And I had this uh, crazy idea of actually making my own Star Trek TV series. Now, keep in mind, I was a young kid. I think I was still in high school at the time when I finally wrote this. And so... Um, I used to think that Star Trek could use a little more Wrath of Khan in the series. And so my idea was that it was going to take place on the USS Yorktown in the 23rd century. And, uh, well, I'm glad it didn't work because looking at all the uh, backlash that some of New Trek has gotten, I realized that I was a New Trek writer before New Trek writers existed. But I had this concept where the, uh, the Constitution class was going to be refitted into a full-on battleship. It was going to be capable of landing on surfaces, and and that was going to be one of the, the things to get people into Star Trek. There's going to be more excitement and more battles, and, well, we have that now, and I realize, ah, oh, that's dumb. <laughs> but anyway, one of the things that I had always wanted to see done was have not only having the Enterprise land or a ship like the Enterprise land, but being able to walk out onto the hull of the ship, just like you can walk the decks of ships on modern-day ships on our sailing vessels, on our seafaring vessels, and so I actually had a scene where a couple of characters did exactly that. They would sit out, they walked out to the edge of the hall and sat on the edge of the saucer section. And so when I got to see that on screen on this show, I mean, at first it was a little taken back, like they're sitting out in open air space where there is no air. And then they uh, they had the force field up. And so I was like, huh. I mean, that obviously wasn't a nod to my work because I never posted it anywhere publicly and I barely ever talk about my my star trek yorktown project that i wanted to try and do but it was a moment it was something that i had always wanted to see in star trek that i got to see on screen and so i absolutely loved it what, what was your inspiration for the name yorktown um i had found out that that was actually one of the constitution classes in the fleet and of is course, that a justification, or were you just happy to see your name on one of those? There, there was definitely the, the seeing see my last name on the ship, but then it was also the historical context of the fact that it's named after the Battle of Yorktown. Well, it's actually named after the aircraft carrier Yorktown, which is named after the Battle of Yorktown, which is where one of the two final battles where the United States won the Revolutionary War. And so I thought well this would be a cool ship to have a, a whole captain on i actually named my my main captain in uh star trek online is actually that character that i came up with and he, his main ship is the uss yorktown um so 
But like so, I said, it was going to be full of battles and not because the idea was like it was this patrol vessel that uh, basically protected Starfleet's borders, engaged in different but, skirmishes, and but it well, was all that would be quiet. definitely interesting because like if we if we assume that the Orville is part of the Star Trek universe as one of the more like exploratory known space vessels, then we really don't have a security military vehicle yet like we've seen flagships but we haven't seen any like actually um like an actual battleship right and so that was okay so to go into a little bit of my own fan work so that was my idea was that it was gonna be like you know the enterprise is out there exploring space and putting on a good face for the federation and really kind of the like the way ds9 put it was that you know, yes, we want to strive for paradise, but the reality is, paradise, you know, isn't exact, isn't always supported by good ideals. There are certain things that you have to do, and I had this whole backstory that was going to turn out that that the main captain was actually a member of Section Thirty One, um, who was trying to get away from Section Thirty One, and there was going to be a whole plot sequence to where his second in command figures it out, and they catch him. But as it turns out, he was trying to get caught because he didn't want to do Section Thirty One nonsense anymore. And so I had these really crazy ideas, but keep in mind, this was written like over 12 years, 15 years ago. And so the pilot episode starts with them actually like being late to the ship before it launches because they're drinking. And I realized in the military, that is how you get yourself kicked out. (laughs) So that's not exactly something that you could just, you know, wave your hand at like, ah, no big deal. Whatever. We were partying. It was before deployment, right? No. Yeah, see... It depends on your position. To, yeah, you see, personally, I always wanted the the first uh, Federation warship to be named something like the USS Gandhi. I always thought that that would just be perfect. <laughs> that, that would be right in line with Civilization Four. Yep. So, all right, I think uh, we've got a that lot. That sums up Strange New Worlds. Yeah. Yeah, we we do have a lot. I think that wraps it up. I mean, Strange New Worlds this week wasn't super complicated, which isn't a bad thing. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but we do have a lot more to get to tonight, which is why we have the extra hour added on. And so with that, we are going to, uh, transition and actually, I'm actually going to get rid of, well, eh, we'll keep the formula going with the, what we did not like. All right. So Kenobi (laughs) part three, uh, well, we're as ready as we're ever going to be at this point. Kenobi part three really, uh, really came in strong this last or came in strong last week um i really felt that this was finally the moment where the show was starting to feel like a proper in-between of episode three and four um but we'll get into what i had to think uh, afterwards john why don't you go ahead and start us off kenobi part three okay so <laughs> i don't understand why we call it kenobi because as much as we thought this was going to be the story of how the noble mentor becomes the noble mentor, instead we're getting the most honorable person in the entire Jedi Order slash history is no longer awake despite, you know, 20 years of live combat experience and 10 years of continued blue collar labor so like if anything 
he's been doing yoga for the last 10 years compared to like where he was and now he's barely reactionary barely observant barely present despite also being on the biggest mission since taking on the mission of taking care of Luke it it really feels it, like if anything it just honestly feels completely discombobulated but that's my thoughts okay okay yeah um I feel like they built they had a huge gain in episode 2 and the plot of this episode just kind of pushed the narrative right back to that first episode again um you know, which in certain circumstances would be fine, um, depending on the t- kind of story you're telling. But what we're watching here is supposed to be an epic. It's supposed to move forward in a direction, and we're not getting that. We're actually getting a regression instead of a move forward. Um, there were a couple of other like small things that drove me a little crazy in the episode. Like Obi Wan is is you know he feels something in the like it's daytime. They walk into this back room we see them there maybe for five ten minutes they walk back out and all of a sudden it's night and like vader's coming in with the with the night somehow and i'm like that is a crazy force ability that vader is now able to move an entire planet's orbit in such a way that he brings in the night um now don't get me wrong when vader shows up and just goes to town on this village I mean, the one thing I will say about Disney Star Wars is every time Disney has put Vader in Disney Star Wars, they've done a really good service to this creature. They've made him legitimately terrifying. And I love it. I love the reaction Obi-Wan had to seeing him, which was the equivalent of, oh, I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die so hard here. Because... You know, was I mean, it sh- a reaction like, of "I'm gonna die," or was it a reaction of "Oh, he's alive"? Because well, like, I, I, think it's both. I couldn't I tell either. Both, like, right? I couldn't read any of it off of Kenobi. I mean, look, I'll take that it's happening on both, but oh man, the the just the horror in his, um, you know, just the horror on his face of you know this look of well we're screwed but, but you know was, it, was at the very really, least acceptable it didn't feel like he was showing us horror it felt like he was showing us fear like right but like okay, as far so as like I'll terror just, I'll... goes like terror like i feel like obi-wan wasn't supposed to be afraid he was supposed to be in pain like he was supposed to feel all of the darkness that had happened and instead what we got was oh no there's a bad guy well, okay, I, I will put forward this theory that I've got going, which is the only way I can justify this episode, really. Mm-hmm. And that is Vader, because he is so in tune with the dark side, puts out an aura of absolute terror in everywhere he goes. And because Kenobi had not been prepared for that aura of sheer terror, and didn't know how to oh, counter it. Shabin, shut up. There, Shabin. Right. Hello. Right, you know, I hear you. Didn't know how to con- like how to deal with that. 
that was probably, you know, the only way I can justify what happened there. Um, otherwise, though, I mean, like, look, those are my big issues. The other one is, like, how is Leia a better spy master than Obi-Wan Kenobi? Like, how is Obi-Wan Kenobi this bad at going undercover? Bro, how is she so calm? Right? Like, I've hung out with kids. Mm. The more stressed the events get, the more stressful the kids are. And not necessarily in terms of, like, you're not my dad. You're a Jedi. Hey, guys, there's a Jedi. No, it's, it's just more in terms of, like, they keep making errors. And instead, Leia is making positive move motions. Like, she's progressing the story. If anything, she should be the reason why the story isn't moving. And instead, like, Obi-Wan is... Yeah, like, I, I would totally buy... See, I think we would have had a much better situation if she believed Obi-Wan was her actual father from, like, the get-go and kind of was trying to convince Obi-Wan of this, almost. Like, she's yeah. that kind of attitude. That would have been great. Well, the, in that case, there should have been, like, one or two bedtime story scenes where she's being told the stories of Anakin and Obi-Wan and she's seeing all this honor in Obi-Wan and all this like education like they're talking about you know how Obi-Wan's Anakin's master and Anakin's the one being educated but like the family the Ortegas are still sharing Obi-Wan or Anakin's story with his daughter but at the same time like she's interpreting it as obi-wan was her dad obi-wan raised anakin so she probably he was probably getting ready to raise her and then when she hears the name obi-wan because somebody goes obi-wan what has happened to you and she goes wait thought your name was ben like that would have made sense yeah like there 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 were unforced errors i guess i i want to put it as that in the story that kept cropping up in this episode that just they kind of nagged at me like i'm all i'm all for um like forced errors you know what i mean like we're bad luck bad timing right probe droid shows up scans kenobi right like that's fine i have no problem with that part of the scenario right or teleporting reva though yeah that's the issue. dude oh my reva's the third sister right like I'm yeah. not missing. Okay, yeah, that that fuck. Mm, that uh, like a mile long, dude. That then... caught that that caught so hard into my mind. Well, as soon as I saw Leia running, I was like, she's gonna somehow magically be there. I just know, like I already see where you're doing with this, with the just the see? videography part of the shot. She's gonna be there, and she gets there, and you hear her voice. And I will admit, like the setup they do with her right there of like. Mm, I relieved see, them, and then you see the edge of their dead bodies, and she's off screen. Like that was cool. That being said, the fact that she was there, I was like, I was sitting there thinking about it. And I was like, okay, so they left way before her. There's one direction. There's only one way for the tunnels to get there. You would have to go out a side tunnel, and then nowhere to come outside of that. But somehow she has managed to get to Leia, who left way before her, and is a child that is at that is adventurous and runs and climbs trees. And is running through these tunnels, and you it, it beat her there. Way more sense. Get it out of here. Made way more sense if they'd shown the tunnels as this extreme labyrinth. And, and Leia got Leia lost, is given even though the code. she had directions. Yeah. 
<laughs> and then this other girl runs in there looking for anyone, and boom, they bump into each other. And yeah, it could have been in just like a random Disney passage. Bumping. Yeah. Oh, exactly. you know what? That you know, I can even realistic. fix that scene even better. Yes, we turn it into a labyrinth, and the the um, the like rebel girl um, that shows up instead of giving the directions to Leia, gives the directions to Leia's droid Lola, and Lola hmm. gets turned around because it's just been fixed. Yeah, and it glitches right. or it turns off. Yeah. yeah, or I could even I could have even dealt with Leia making it to those people, David the people Bowie interacting. Be hiding according to Shaving. <laughs> David Bowie. <laughs> uh, there we go. And Bring like she meets up with the people, this. and as they're like going towards the ship, and they're still like, because they made the point of like we're not ready. And they're still like trying to finish up the last few things. Then Reva shows up behind well, and marks everyone. Because now you ready. have a cool scene where Reva can just wreck everyone present and genuinely terrify Leia and like sink in the 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 mentuous of this problem of like this is not this is not this dude that has been showing you around. Bro, this is a person better, who will murder everyone in her way. Like you you could have used even, the even like, bet we had the moment where Reva's in trouble because she killed or she thought she killed the Inquisitor, Grand Inquisitor, right? Because apparently that's already been fixed as far as the lore goes. He has two tummies, so one of the tummies got an alley, but the other tummy didn't, so he's still alive. No, so they, they straight up say the Inquisitor's dead in the very beginning mm -hmm. of the episode. No, they, Negative. They, they did not confirm that. They almost the way the way she, they brushed it they right off. The way it was said, it sounded like she told vader nope. that obi-wan killed the inquisitor no no it was, was literally like that he defeated the inquisitor and that he took serious damage but it, it's it seems implied and until we have confirmation it, it, it hasn't been confirmed yet but exactly yes, it, and in the yeah. way vader just brushed it off he's like i don't I care don't about him it wasn't yeah. like i, mean, I lost I mean, anyone and nobody said that vader wouldn't dead. care see see i took that as no, but, uh she sold it as Obi-Wan killed him. The Vader wouldn't would give been, a shit about it. He doesn't care about his no, people. He just no, doesn't Vader care. Vader cared that his people weren't trained enough. That's the big difference. He sees like, them if, as insignificant. If, he well, literally... No, so if, I don't I if, don't agree with that, had, that sentiment. Well, no, if Obi-Wan had like been accused of killing the Inquisitor, for sure just like dispatched him, then in that moment and like Darth Vader would have been like all right I'm coming in you hold back like you're not good enough none of you are if my grand inquisitor isn't good enough none of the younger ones are at all I'll I, be there but I don't, instead I don't we agree got, with that because he expects everyone to a point, uh, either perform no. better than the target or they should no. be dead like that's his position guys, on things guys I think you're also forgetting how much Vader absolutely hates Obi-Wan right it and wasn't that's my point a, is he wouldn't it, send more cannon fodder he no, would just he, say, you guys get out of my way, himself. I'm going in. Which is why he shows right. up. Right, like, but we didn't But they need to go find to, the cat no, and find him. My, my, only, my only explanation is that, like, the reason the Grand Inquisitor isn't definitely dead is because he didn't pull anybody off. He said, you guys make way for me. Like, he... I don't think he, he would. He figures that... I, th I think the Inquisitor was a casualty, but he's not dead. And while Obi-Wan may be given the credit for making the Grand Inquisitor a casualty, Anakin doesn't care who made him a casualty. He's still alive, so let's not talk about him. When he gets back up to snuff, I, he'll be up to snuff. And that's the Everything the kind I've of always seen with Vader, I he, I don't see, and I just don't see it that way. I fully see it as 
he does not care about these right. people. They no, they are cannon not, fodder to this him. Isn't, this he will isn't literally of, kill them yeah, because they inconvenience him. This, right, but that's what I'm saying, is it would be more of an inconvenience to send more cannon fodder pushing Obi-Wan no, further then he, away. Because Instead, as far as he, he sees it, them they need to track said, him down. Right, but if they had died in which the is first track, then, then they didn't deserve to be alive in the first place. They're not worthy to exist anyways. And like, he would that's have his them position out of the process. He okay, would have but... kicked them out. And that's what we're missing is he didn't kick them out. He he told them to keep doing their jobs because they got close enough. So he didn't need to, like, discontinue their failures. And like, I feel like if the Grand Inquisitor had died, he would have kicked them out. Well, he would have said, you guys are here, done. Go the... do something else. This is my here's, job now. Here's how I see it. Vader sees the Inquisitors like probe droids. He sends them out to go find the things that he actually wants mm. to deal with, right? And anything below him, things that are like unworthy of his attention, he lets them deal with because he doesn't care, right? Yeah, I feel like that's but, a, a. I feel like oh, hold that's on, hold making on. Vader too dark. Like he's dark, oh, but in a extra dark way. Like in terms oh, of um, this is the guy who literally killed people. kids in Episode Three, John. Right, but he uses people before he was fully. Well, hold, hold on <laughs> he, though. He also though is going to use the the. I think the real reason why he didn't want those inquisitors involved in the fight with Obi Wan had nothing to do with a any of the stuff we've discussed so far. It was primarily because he knows how good Obi Wan is at screwing with other people. He also has and a vendetta against him. <laughs> well, yeah, but if there's other. Like, if there's mooks, for lack of a better term, in the way, all they're going to do is screw up his perfect chance to finally get revenge on this guy. So you guys hang back, make sure he does not leave the planet, keep him is trapped he... here while I finish this fight. Right, and see, I agree with that. My thing, though, is, like, that's the thing that they should have done with Reva is they set her up as being the one who stabbed the Inquisitor, right? And, like... Darth Vader didn't really care about whether or not the Inquisitor was okay, but it really should have been that, like, Reva was suffering backlash. And the reason why she was right there when Leia got out of the tunnel is because she was forced to stay on the ship. And we just see this whole time where she's just complaining about waiting. And I got sidelined, even though I'm the one that found him. I'm the one that did us. And we just watched this whole, like, five-minute period of her complaining. And then also she witnesses a group of escapees board a ship and she goes oh that's interesting and then when leia's running and that's the last we see of her for the whole rest of the episode and then when leia's running through the tunnels who does yeah. she find there the person who connected some dots only saw three minutes of and she's now at the end of the tunnel instead she teleports yeah <laughs> i mean like look if i was rewriting this series up until this point i would have definitely made a more contentious um relationship between leia and obi-wan where they didn't kind of bond very well at all and that way when reva shows up and she's like well i'm from the empire i'm here to take you home i'm here to protect you um you know your your father um has like gone to the empire and we're the good guys we're the special operations team that's going to bring you home and trying to pull leia into the imperial fold would have been a very interesting way to take this mm. right it, it would have yeah, been like, like no 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 i'm gonna get now. you home 
I yes. was involved, you know, we, we weren't involved in your kidnapping at all, right? Like, just cats pawing yeah. her against Anik, uh, against Obi-Wan? Yeah, all right, great. Chris, Chris, why don't you go ahead and go with what you did not like about Kenobi, and then uh, and then we'll shift the shift gears into what we did like. <laughs> yeah, uh, you, may, you may have noticed that I didn't join in the conversation in the last few minutes, and, and I've had a, in a kind of a, it's taken me a few days to, to process this episode, um, because I really, really wanted to like this episode and I really love Star Wars. But there was something that happened, you know, during the episode when, when Obi-Wan and Vader were fighting. I realized that I didn't feel anything. And I know that, that there's people out there who will absolutely love this episode and will, will, will love that fight and love everything about it. But for me, anyways, personally, my own experience with it is I just didn't, feel anything and then I started to think about the episode and I realized that I didn't really feel anything about the episode at all and I realized I'm watching this and I'm, I'm you know I'd be willing to watch the last three episodes for the sake of the writer brothers but like if I was just watching it on my own I'm done you know this is it for me I wouldn't continue and I would never need to or want to watch the rest of the show. It's not that I think it's it's horrible by any stretch. I, I, there, there are parts I really like. I think Leia's well cast. She's, she's done a reasonably good job, especially with the risk of a child actor. Um, you know, but it's, you know, when, when I really took time to think about it, I came to this conclusion in my, in my mind that it, it's, it's, just not what I had what, what, it's not what I would have imagined would have happened I, I'm not sure if, if I really feel like I believe it's part of what's happening in Star Wars I, I, I don't it, it's it's hard to explain and it's hard for, it was hard for me to get my head around how to, to put, put it into words which is why I may be struggling a little bit right now but it's just I, not it's not the story I think- that, that I would have you know, uh, it... I think I have, I have the words for what you're feeling. This series has been accumulating growth. Every new trilogy brings a whole new fan base. And now, as it's like it, Star Wars is worth something like a hundred billion dollars. The IP alone of Star Wars is a hundred billion. Yeah. And the quality of writing that we're getting is freshman in college, senior in yeah. high school. And it like we deserve Shakespeare. We deserve a two hour diatribe between Obi-Wan and Owen in a bar talking about why Luke yeah. needs to be left to the farm Give and me that. not yeah exactly because that's the character you've experienced you've seen him when he's an action hero you've seen him when he's a diplomatic hero you've seen him when he's a mentor now let me see the man and instead we're seeing i i didn't i didn't need i mean i like i i i am again if if you, if you love for if you love if you're looking forward to a fight between obi-wan and vader power to you because hopefully it's a great fight I don't think I needed Vader or Leia or any significant characters. I, I was happy with just Obi-Wan 
uh, in a smaller setting and in, in a not in a not quite as massive stakes like setting. It, it adds way more gravitas to Darth Vader's quote when he says, "I feel a presence I haven't felt in a long time." The way that he keeps his resignation and minimalizes that feeling. If they had never met since Mustafar, that makes Vader seem way more reserved and way more powerful than ever explained before, especially compared to all of his other outbursts. But now that we keep seeing him outburst, it's like, oh, so he's one second away from being Kylo Ren. I'm going to go ahead and and we're going to go ahead and transition to what we did like. And I'm going to go ahead and respond to a lot of your guys' points. And I'm just going to give my my two cents on that. So can I say one thing first? Sure. It's the, the, there's two the two there's two main things I took issue with the, the show one I talked about and agreed with was Reva and her teleportation magic um the other was in the fight with Vader I could take the fact that Obi-Wan's supposed to have put his lightsaber in the dirt basically his head in the dirt and not been using it right and so he's gonna be rusty cool I can accept he'd lose that fight because of that and Vader's still being like this very powerful character could take that loss what i didn't i I could not find myself accepting was how garbage he was in the fight though like he factually is worse in that fight than the first time ray picks up a lightsaber in that movie okay i like i don't want to compare the sequel trilogy just i mean that's fair but my point is like he that is the worst example of anyone i have seen in star wars to date using a lightsaber to include younglings luke in his in episode four like just period he's fumbling all over the place with it like you're not going to convince me that this was a jedi master like even if you can't remember he's still going to understand the basic forms and he's like he's like over here doing this shit i'm like okay okay (laughs) okay so here we go here we go so i understand what you're saying and i understand where y'all are coming from i understand where the grief is towards this series as i said before we are three episodes deep we have three episodes left i understand chris you're a bit discouraged disgruntled i it's it's fine um for me, watching this, I don't know how, because I must have absorbed what you guys were supposed to feel and kept it for myself. Because that fight, even though I know what the resolution is going to be, I was just on the edge of my seat. I was I was, I was worried the entire time. I was like, no, he's going to come out of it, but man, this is rough. Now, the reason why I bought it is because, you're right, he puts he puts the, the sabers in the dirt and he, he, he removes himself from the force to the point where he's only meditating. And I think that the, the best way to describe Kenobi right now is probably the R.E.M. song, Losing My Religion. I think that is Kenobi's theme right now. Because I, while he's saying... I disagree that, with that. Saying, like, I fundamentally disagree. Uh, okay, can you please let me finish? Not... Let me finish. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. God, you're talking over me all night. Um, what he does, what he basically did is he's put Luke as the center point of his protection. He has to prioritize Luke. And so, in doing so, he needs to keep everybody away, including the Jedi. 
That's why when that other apprentice or Jedi comes to see him, he's like, no, piss off. It's basically what he says. He does that because he cannot let Luke be found. He still thinks that he's going to train Luke, but at this point in time, he's not convinced that it's actually going to happen. Owen has basically stepped in and said, no, you're not training him. You're not doing this. Just leave us alone. And he is now at the point where he needs to find his faith again. And that's what we're seeing. Vader, for all we know, we don't know what he's been doing for 10 years. There's the possibility that he's been on ice or the back to tank for 10 years, which, um, Brandon, if you're still there, I, I don't know if you had to call away or whatever. Um, he, he's, you know, if he's been sitting in the back to tank, I would agree with your assessment that he definitely, uh, the fight was a bit contrived. I would agree with you there. Um, I'm assuming that Vader's been out on the warpath taking out the rest of the Jedi and so he's been building up his skill by overcoming all these other Jedi throughout the 10 years whereas Kenobi's literally put his head in the sand to the point where he's not even paying attention to galactic news now I will capitulate here you guys aren't entirely wrong it is a bit sloppy to make that assumption that for 10 years he wouldn't know about Darth Vader it is a bit sloppy to just go with uh with the assumption that he would be so bad at the fight. However, I think that's part of what really is going to put Kenobi back on the right path, though. He's had his butt kicked by his former apprentice in such a way that was pathetic to where Vader watches him leave in the flames, and somebody else, I shared this earlier, pointed out that the reason Vader decides to let him go at that point is because he's not satisfied with this. Just like you aren't satisfied with it, Brandon. You're basically Vader at this point watching this fight going, oh, come on, this it? This is pathetic. And so now, what I hope is going to happen over the next three episodes is that this tonight's episode is probably going to be very exposition heavy. Um, it's probably going to be where he you know, finally finds his strength to come back and decides. Five is probably going to be the, the Rocky you know, uh, training montage where he's going to bust out his lightsaber and do some moves and, and we're going to see him like you know do some force weightlifting, and then episode six will probably tie up with a final fight that will then realign the canon back to you know when i left you i was but a learner because there's still time for obi-wan to not only find his strength but to take darth vader to school again and so i suppose the way i'm looking at it is that i can already see that's what's probably coming and so that's, you know, so I'm kind of sort of pseudo setting those expectations. That said, hmm. I completely understand where you guys are all coming from. I'm not going to say that you're wrong. Well, I'm never going to say anyone's wrong for having feelings. You can't really argue feelings. However, I'm just going to say, just hold on. Just a little, let's just see this one through. Um, I felt that this was very, like some of the music even, like when he was running around in the dirt and, and like some of the music harkened back to that episode five sort of eerie, you know, moments where where luke was training in the force and reaching out it uh, it was the same track when when kenobi and uh or when uh luke fights the apparition of of himself in dagobah it was the same style of music that's what they used um for that scene and i think that's what just adds to the suspense of that of that moment and so yeah I want, I want that final battle. We better get that final battle rematch because I'm going to be honest right now. With rumblings of Season 2, I am a bit worried. I am a bit worried that it's not going to be as good as it's supposed to because 
Now there's talks of a second season of Kenobi. That tells me that they're probably going to leave this one on a cliffhanger or they're not going to finish the story and that they went into this hoping that it would be enough interest to greenlight a season two. If that's the case, oh man, we're going to have a different discussion by the end. that was the promise is that this one would never get a sequel that like that was part of the whole promise that this was going to be good was that it was going to be a six episode wrap-up of the kenobi story to you know fully wholly round out everything skywalker every if it was contemplated finally been defined guys the the sequel exists it's called a new hope that that that's the sequel right exactly but my, no, my the sequel's Rogue One. Is that like, as far as Gandalf goes, like that's that's who Obi Wan's supposed to emulate, right? As far as the hero's journey, right, Obi Wan is supposed to be Gandalf. So, oh, yeah, go ahead. Um, there's a lot of things uh, PD said that I agree with. I I didn't hate the episode in its entirety. There, like for example, in that fight scene, right? There are a lot of things I did like that you also mentioned. I just it it's this mix of like there were things that I liked. You're and having, I thought they you're did having really trouble with the suspension of disbelief. It well, yeah. It's as soon as he was just so like I can I can I could accept that like he's rusty and he so he's slower and Vader's out overpowering that I I could take that all day like that's that's believable with what you said but you didn't just do that you just went he cut himself off completely and has completely forgotten how like you don't learn how to use a sword not use it for 10 years and then be like so where's the pointy end again like how does how do i hold this and move it around do i just swing a little bit i do underhand i'm a ninja like that's like literally like the the fate the only part of that fight that he did that i was finally like oh hey you you're finally doing something creative and i, I forget what it is but he uses a force to do something I'm forgetting off the top of my head because my brain sucks, but he uses the force to do something to distract Vader. And it was like, all right, cool. You're finally doing something I could see you doing as a trained Jedi. But like, but the, you're right about the music. The music was good. It was intense in different areas. Yoda. Like, I just want to hmm? say too, real quick, and the thing that really won me over was the fact that the last fight we had seen between you know Anakin and Obi-Wan was light stick twirling, which if you hmm. like the prequel trilogy fight sequences that's fine you're allowed to like them they're 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 really well choreographed that's why i prefer the episode six sequences is because they're more raw and that's what i felt this fight was was we got back to just that raw uncoordinated oh we're just gonna try hitting each other with our sticks kind of and and kenobi's out of practice whereas vader is more powerful than him and so i think that's what they were trying to convey was that vader's been slaughtering jedi and he's he's in his element whereas kenobi is not but you're right. They could have done it better. My biggest thing is look at Yoda. We have the A New Hope. We have Empire Strikes Back, and we have uh, Jedi Returns. And Yoda is nothing except for an old man dying. Right? He is on his way out. Then we have the Phantom Menace, and who do we see? An old man dying. And then. In the end of the Clone Wars, after watching another episode of an old man dying, we see the most gangster old man <laughs> mess with Count Dooku we've ever seen. And then in episode three, what do we see again? We see Palpatine, somebody who's never shown any force sensitivity, any lightsaber pr- practice ever. 
whooping Yoda's butt, right? Out of nowhere. We've never seen this kind of lightsaber competition. And now all of a sudden, Obi-Wan takes 10 years off and he's the first person to ever grab a lightsaber again. It's <laughs> okay, not guys, fair to the history. Guys, hold on. All right. Just out of curiosity, how many of you guys have actually done blade combat training? Like how I'm many training? Star Wars movies? Like, like legitimate le training? Like legit training. I haven't done education or competition because I've done like pugil sticks competition, but I've never actually like okay. listened so that, to anybody. That, that's pretty close. So but for my combat training's halfway decent. For purposes of transparency, um, I did amateur uh, saber fighting, like actual fencing saber fighting for years, and I've constantly been doing training uh, in longsword combat for the last several years. Let me tell you this. After I got an injury that took me out of competitive saber fighting, when I finally was able to get back into a rhythm to start looking at it again, I was absolutely rusty as fuck. Okay? Yeah. I, I will freely admit I was terrible for the first little but, while. But the canon shows us that Jedi aren't at... They're way more resilient. Like, Obi-Wan... Well, or. Yoda and Palpatine were fighting like it was the last here, fight here of Mount John, I let me, let me let me get this out though because this is an important point. Um, I think that what they were trying to show in that scene, apparent from what the the lore states, so much of lightsaber combat, there is a form to it, but a lot of it has to do with your connection with the Force, being able to predict your opponent's moves to get your blade into a parry position before the opponent is actually bringing down the strike. It's so much precognitive fighting that you're basically kind of playing it out as like a chess game in your mind before the fight begins. Now, there's a couple of moves I saw Obi-Wan's character pull. That switch grip, where he repositioned his hand to better mm -hmm. maneuver, his technique is still there. But because he's not predicting Vader's moves, he's not able to fight at that level. I think they were trying to say his technique is there. Because I am seeing the technique there as one sword fighter watching another pair of sword fighters. What I'm seeing, though, is one guy is moving at turtle pace and, like, the speed and, like, the strength of, like, I, I, I don't know, the strength of, like, you know, more like toddler strength versus like an amphetamine soaked circus monkey right like a dude I would never want to like just pure nightmare fuel of a guy to fight because he's huge he's cybernetically enhanced and he knows what I'm about to do before I do it that is not a fight I want to get into on a bad day and this is like right. Obi-Wan's worst week right but see that's that's like the biggest problem to me is that like as far as masters of the force go in visually given to us history masters can grab it and grab the force grab their technique grab all of their memory and it's back like they've never left for a day we've seen it with yoda and we've seen it with palpatine and yoda was still because... on the council and probably actively training off screen to play but, devil's advocate, see, though, I, all those examples oh, never yeah, tried to cut we themselves never off see from the Yoda force. Move. No, but see, 
the only time we've ever seen anybody try to cut themselves off from the force is Luke. We've never seen that before, and then suddenly it's commonplace, even though it goes completely against his prime directive, which his prime directive was prepare yourself for Luke's coming of age because you are teaching a half metachlorian half naboo person you're raising literally another half of the metachlorian count and suddenly leia is also another half and none of this breaks any of the lore but what does break the lore is that obi-wan cut himself off from the force even though as far as a new hope goes he's, he didn't cut himself has off zero dispassion for the force Right, right. Yeah, yes, and that's my and that's my point, John. That's the whole point of this story is he's spent the last ten years living in his, you know, with his head in the sand, mourning the death he, of his family, and he's not even he sure. He's not even he's sure, holding. but he's not even sure if he's going to train Luke right now. Like that's the thing no, we got. We can't keep looking at this from the eyes of Episode Four Obi Wan. We got to see it no, from no, right see, now. But, but see, that's what I'm saying, though, is like I'm comparing and contrasting it to all the Obi-Wans before. I'm not saying for sure that he is definitely set on becoming and raising Anakin 2.0. Like, I can definitely understand that that is a fear that he has. That, that's one of the but main things I, but, he's struggling with right now. But what we're seeing is that he's also struggling with his relationship with the Force. Yes. Because that's the part that doesn't make any sense. Because he knows oh, why oh, Anakin no, went. Oh, no, it makes total sense. It makes well, perfect no, but sense. Hear me out. Hear me out. I See, will. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense in terms of his relationship to Anakin. Because the whole time he was training Anakin in the right way to use the Force. And he kept proving. And we have example after example of where the light side reigns supreme. Anakin falls to the dark side for falling to the dark side for the one thing Obi-Wan has never fallen to any side for, and that's love. And so for An Obi-Wan to understand that Anakin was betrayed by love and attachment, and that's one of the things that Yoda has always harped forever, attachment is the fastest way to the dark side, and Anakin fell that way. For Obi-Wan to be like, oh, how can I love the Force if that's what it created? It's like, no. He fell for the thing that everybody promised him he would fall for. Like, as far as guaranteed relationship with the higher being goes, if God says you will for sure die if you smite somebody or if you kill, murder somebody and every murderer ever dies the moment they murder somebody, it's pretty easy to believe in that God. If the most powerful Jedi in the world falls to the dark side because of love, suddenly the rules that attract like attraction play become le legit it's like there is no other answer okay, to it. as okay, long as sorry. i maintain anakin, this passion anakin i will fall be to a the dark Jedi. side because he was in love he he, he fell to the dark side because palpatine manipulated him palpatine no, made him started empty with love now we take palpatine that back we take that back he he wasn't doing it for for love he was doing it because of his own self-interest because he found a way that he thought he could save padme because Palpatine right. was lying to him. But he had to save he was Padme to because of his love for Padme. No, he the, had to save Padme Palpatine because had, he was fed a bunch of bullshit. But Palpatine had no entrance in unless Anakin was already in but love. That's, and this is my point Jedi about why Obi-Wan Obi being disconnected from the Force makes perfect sense, though. Because uh, he did everything right. He is basically the poster child of what a good Jedi is. He followed the Force. He did not chase his love interest, the the Mandalorian lady in the Clone Wars. He he, he burnt his fully 
did not go that way. He stuck to the code. He did everything he was supposed to. And what did it get him? Living in the sand with uh, with the but, son of basically, it, with basically his grandson. His grandson who he's now disconnected from. Because he saw Vader as his son. Obi-Wan did have an attachment. And that was Anakin. And that's why he feels not only betrayed by Anakin, but he feels betrayed by the Force because he did everything he was supposed to. And in the end, he lost all but of his family. He has no was, friends, and he's alone. Always the promise of being a Jedi. Like, the promise of being a Jedi is to suffer so the world doesn't have to. You I deal with the world's problems. At this point, because well, the whole no, it's, promise it, it, of being it, it, a Jedi is you get to be a noble peacekeeper who everyone looks up to. Right, and nobility means that sometimes you have to suffer immense loss with a smile on your face. Yeah, immense loss is not losing your entire status and having your entire and identity political and operation everything. just thrown over. No, that's right. Not no, and that's why that's why I don't. That's why I don't have a problem with him being tired of all of the rules. But I'm saying that his relationship with the Force would never be stronger because none of it has actually been broken. The Force itself has never lied to him. It's never betrayed him. The Force, as far as he's been taught, as far as the Jedi Code goes, attachment leads to the dark side of any kind. His best friend, his son, that is that's a gave Jedi, into love. That's a and Jedi lost. lie. That's not exactly. That yeah, the but Force. exactly. Exactly. So that's his so religion force, that lied to him. Not. It has no, but it didn't lie to him. It didn't. It, that's that it a, that's did. my point. Is it, is it didn't lie because the the lie that you're saying is is that attachment leads to the dark side. You're saying that's a lie. It is. But right? according to Obi Wan, that's exactly what happened to his best friend. His best friend fell in love. He then was betrayed by his other associates and then manipulated to the dark side. But it was only because of his love for Padme that he was capable of being manipulated to the dark side. No, because, because as far as differences goes. Obi-Wan, the only difference between Obi-Wan and Anakin was Padme, was the relationship that Anakin shared with Padme because Obi-Wan was always able to say no and Anakin wasn't. And why was Anakin not? And that's what Obi-Wan witnessed, verified. Like as far as like religious lies go, if anything, Obi-Wan witnessed a perfect lie fulfill itself. Well, guys, I'm going to say this right now because I think this needs to be said. Ladies and gentlemen who are watching the show, this is what we've been talking about. Because both of these gentlemen have an extremely passionate position that they are taking, <laughs> but we are still managing to have a polite and reasonable discourse about it. Um, gentlemen, uh, just to be the, the voice of reason here, I think both of you guys have very valid points, but I don't think you guys are going to be able to fundamentally agree on how the nope. force works here uh, tonight. Uh, fair. So fair, I do fair. think maybe a, we got uh, agreement thought that I can flip this on where there's something pd said earlier that i agree with but i don't think it's going to come to fruition the way he thinks it is and it's not with the what they were just talking about because i was i'm on the same page as you i was already thinking about how to try to spin that a little bit and it's when you were talking about his defeat with vader here and how it, the point is going to be you use that as the the springboard to make his comeback to come back around to like get back to that status point I think that's going to happen, but I'm like, I am pretty positive it's not going to come to fruition the way you want it to, in the sense of it's not going to be Vader he fights and gets and shows, because that doesn't happen till, you know, four, episode four. What's going to happen, though, is I almost, I almost can guarantee, because he's so popular, 
what they're going to do is because this is supposed to be taking place at the same time as uh uh what's the animated one um oh, rebels. rebels rebels and if i recall correctly at the in rebels at one point he comes back across uh darth maul and they fight and he kills darth maul it's not this it's not this crazy fight it's a it's a melancholy moment i've seen i've seen the scene it's, yeah <laughs> it's, a very it's, it's kind of this weirdly beautiful moment and i think what's going to happen is we're going to watch this and they're going to do that scene because for a handful of reasons a the actor who played darth maul is highly loved for him his playing as darth maul he loves the character deeply like it would not i I can't, it would not take much for them to convince him, like, hey, we want you to come on to play Maul. He'd be like, dude, where do I sign? Like, right now. So, like, it would make, it would make so much sense, even from just, like, a business decision to be like, we need to bring this scene so we can hire this man. People will lose their collective minds. And I think that's going to be... It's go you're going to watch him build up into the point where it's like, this is Obi-Wan again, and then that moment's going to happen, and it's not going to be this crazy, insane fight. It's going to be short, it's going to be to the point, and it'll be melancholy, because it's also this recognition well, of, like, the guys, arc of these two people. I, guys, I, I, will love... say, I will say this, too. I think they are building to Qui-Gon coming back as a Force ghost. Because oh, now we yeah. hit Obi Wan hit his absolute lowest point. He's as far as he's concerned totally failed. He's going to be sitting in a back to tank regenerating or whatever um, to get rid of the burns. That's when Qui Gon's going to show up and set him straight. Do we have confirmation yeah. that Liam Neeson has been contracted though? Dude, Dude that's, that's what I was just wondering. I was like, will it be Liam? Because I please make I, it Liam Neeson. I don't think it will. He did show that up I for think... the. He did show up for the Clone Wars when uh, when but... Yoda goes to that has that vision or that experience. I think it's the last episode of season six um, when he goes to the Force area. Liam but... Neeson did yeah. reprise his John... role. Oh no, Andy showed up in a Force thing too. Yeah, John. This is all I can say to that to that question. I'm not permitted to say. See, my, my biggest fear is I just don't believe that Disney would work with Liam Neeson after recent remarks that See, he's made in the media. And that's what my thing is, is like, this is where my theory goes, is you guys are setting up two great ideas, right? Where's our Rocky build up? And then where's our big reveal of Obi-Wan becoming the Jedi Master that we remember? And I really I hate this because it's too fast now. But I really get the vibe that Reva's going to turn sides on the next episode. Reva's going to be Rocky. Or Reva's going to be Creed, Apollo Creed's son. And Obi-Wan's going to be Rocky. And Reva's going to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Anakin and lose. But do some damage that motivates Obi-Wan. Like, oh, I really do need to train Luke. Because if, if I can, can just yeah, teach him to be better than Reva. Yeah, and I think Reva <laughs> has her own interests. I don't think she's necessarily going to turn like full light side. But I think she definitely has a vendetta out for Vader. And that's she's just using her position. But go ahead, Chris. You had a thought. I was going to say, it's a good good point about pacing. Because, I mean, earlier I was thinking, okay, if you're going to do two or three seasons, but it's more of an introspective show, you could definitely do 20 or 30 episodes of Obi-Wan kind of exploring his inner self. If the writing's there, I'm all for it. But right here you've got a really high-action show where everything is happening 
you know, <laughs> at the highest level already. He's fighting Darth Vader in the third episode. And so with three episodes left, and I, and I wouldn't want 20 episodes of this, right? Now you got three episodes for a lot of things to happen, you know, for a lot of tables to turn. Is Reva going to turn to the light side in three more episodes? Is Obi-Wan going to find himself in three more episodes? Yeah, I'm, I would worry about that pacing issue for sure. Possibly. And I also, now that it's coming back to me, I want to go back real quick to the beginning of the episode um, just to kind of give some ideas for Kenobi's insecurity when he's, you know, when he's like, you know, we've been betrayed, but why is why is the girl being more a better agent or a, a, a better spy than him? Um, I think it's because we got to consider Kenobi's perspective. In the matter of a day, the Republic was gone. In a matter of a day, he was stabbed in the back, not just by his best clone friend, Cody, who just, you know, instantly starts blasting him away. But then he sees Anakin killing children, which that's really going to change your perspective on the universe. And so I think that's why, again, I think we can agree. Good idea. Bad execution overall. It could have been better executed. I think we could agree that Kenobi was going to lose that engagement. It was just a matter of how he lost, and it could have been explained. I actually agree with you that I like the notion that he's lost, that he's lost a step. I may not like the way they're executing going with Leia and Darth Vader and the higher stakes, but I actually agree with the. I'm not. I'm not comparing this to um, to that other movie and that other character. We don't need um, to speak of that trilogy. No, I, 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 I'm, I'm just, I'm just saying so because I've seen it compared. Um, and to me, I, I didn't actually feel that. I, I think I actually, you know, this is a character who may well have fallen back in these intervening years. But the execution of the thing is giving me a little bit of trouble. Um, but I can buy, I can buy him, uh, I can buy him struggling in that fight. Yeah, and I do just want to say too. This is this has been a fantastic discussion all around. Um, I do. I know I got a little snippy earlier. It does not help that I did not sleep very well last night. Allergies are kicking my ass this year because, uh, especially John and Brandon, you guys know our winter decided to go all the way up until literally last week. So, uh, so yeah, all the springtime pollen that's decided to make up for lost time. I was tossing and turning all night. Then I had to work today. So. I do appreciate everyone's patience in the discussion. I'm, I'm just really, yes, Corion's right. I am passionate about this. I love Star Wars. John loves Star Wars. This is not the first time we have beat each other's heads off over a Star Wars argument, and it won't be the last, which is why we're doing this show. But actually, that that yeah, that is the inspiration for the show. Parker and I have had long discussions about Star Wars and where it should go and where it should have gone and what it did right and what it did wrong. And to me, I think that like. That's what inspired everything about this show is we love talking about it, but we're never going to actually wholly agree on visions. And, I and now you have either. three other people to give us three different versions three of the same vision. To explain to me why they're wrong. Anyway, um, no. Now you guys have been great. I'm just going to go ahead and take the well, headset see, to switch to my see, I think, set. I, I think, think that's, that's the, the funny, funny thing, thing is like... We keep getting like we agree with each individual person's points on different levels, and that's that, that's the discourse. Like when people say re- return respect in the discourse, it's like one of the reasons why we need to do that is because 
I don't know why Corion likes what Corion likes. I don't know why Brandon likes what Brandon likes. And if I don't give him a chance to tell me why he likes something that I don't like, I'm never going to get a chance to understand why people like things that I don't like. Yeah, and so but getting the chance to hear everybody's thoughts yeah. is the only way we're going to know why people have differing thoughts. And sometimes some of us have to throw on the black and white bars and blow the whistle and, and you know, throw a pineapple into discussion to either change topics or shift moods. But I wanted to share or get back into that Reva thought real quick. I think I don't think that she's going to go light side. But I don't think she is interested in serving Vader. I think she wants to kill him. Yeah, but that, see, to me, that seems like very just the easiest definition of what a Sith is. What is a Sith? A Sith is always trying to be Chief Sith of Chief Sith Mountain, right? That, that's very generic. And I think that's kind of like the way i'm reading I, I should, the I character of reva is that's what they're throwing at us so hard yeah and i and should disclose basic... real quick too i don't care for the rule of two personally i think that's one of the dumbest aspects ever introduced to sith lore no. but that's just me. see i think that was actually one of the most fun because that goes to show how much of it isn't real like how much of being a sith and being a jedi is based on legalism it's based on defined law and it's not based on any sense of relationship with the force like the difference between being a good jedi and a sith is literally using the force for your nefarious gain that's it and that's what it's always been but they made all these like codified laws that suddenly change the relationship to be more depending on how good you are like if you're really really good you're going to be a master but if you're kind of good you're going to be a knight and if you're meh, you're going to be force sensitive. But it's all BS. It's all literally the individual who is force sensitive using the force depending on how they use it. And that's what defines whether or not they're actually a Jedi or a Sith is do they use it for altruistic means or they do use it for self-serving means. And that's what life is, is like we all have power, right? And if we don't use our power positively well i mean ultimately when you think about it these the the jedi religion and the sith religion if we're going to call them religions are really all about okay if you were given the capability to explode things with your brain or strangle somebody with your brain what controls could society help you put on that so you can still engage mm. in society. If we mm -hmm. think about it from that perspective, right? What the Sith are all about is, yeah, embrace the emotional fuel that fuels your capability to control it so that you're using it for control of your own interests. Whereas the Jedi philosophy is you are controlling your emotions so you don't get out of hand and you're helping everyone so it's selfishness versus selflessness and the negatives and positives of both those philosophies because there are negatives and positives to both of them when taken to extreme right and, and it's just i just had a dumb, one uh, magic system yep. with two different interpretations that of that system yeah or how to control that system at any rate mm -hmm. so I just I was thinking about what Corion's saying, talking about uh, which 
you know, I, I, I agree with you, and kind of that's kind of the sentiment I've always kind of thought was the case, right? But as you were talking about it, I was thinking about <laughs> using the force emotionally charged and trying to think of like different stuff I've seen and how kind of the emotions they tap in. Usually it's anger and stuff like that, anger and hate because they're so strong. And then I had this dumb idea of like, I, I want to see, you know, maybe slightly nutty to make sense that they're a Sith, but like one that has somehow managed to find uh, and utilize excitement and joy, but it's probably been twisted. Uh, and I imagine there are some in like deep Sith lore, but like I am, I'm only, I've only seen little bits and fringes from that here and there every once in a while. But like, just like a twisted enjoy, they don't use hate, it's not anger, but they find joy, And but because their their mind's been twisted, like, what they find joy in is kind of twisted. That That is interesting. So, so the Joker with a lightsaber is what I'm hearing. So, I've got Kind of, but not, not quite. Like, not exactly, I'm not saying exactly like let's so, Joker. Yeah, yeah, he would never like use a lightsaber. Well, that on. would be part of his shtick. Well, he on. would still I use the 44. I have a story for you. I have a story for you, sir. Um, the Vader comic book, um, the first, I think, uh, first uh, season of the comic book. I don't know how they've broken it up. But during it, Vader runs into a Sith artifact that's a helmet. Mm -hmm. that it I know the one you speak of. That is a gentleman whose power is twisted by joy. Did, ooh, I guess that's true. Right? So there you go. You have a Sith who is that. He gets such joy out of far. his creations. It's just his creations are really disturbing. That wasn't <laughs> quite what I was thinking, but you, you do make a valid point because I do know what you're talking about. Because that is one of the most interesting ones because he manages to continuously live through said helmet that yeah, dude's see, terrifying in his own right that's a yeah. uh, you make a you make I, a I do, point there, think, though, I do also think brandon was kind of hoping for something a little more st sadistic though too like not yeah that, i i do see the joker being an actually like very apparent a, a potentially good character archetype uh, yeah. Well, oh yeah he would think, be ridiculous yeah, cause, cause <laughs> what what are you doing i just want to see the world burn mm. my way I'm gonna light the entire world and the universe on fire, but, but it's, it's gonna, gonna burn in such a way that I enjoy it. My father was a Jedi. <laughs> I don't know and how I got these scars. Because he doesn't have any teeth. He takes the lightsaber. I don't know how I got these scars. Puts the lightsaber in my mouth and I'm dead now. See, I don't know. I kind of wanted to run into the Sith that's like, you know, fueling his power like uh, from love like a dc star sapphire uh sith lord mm. actually right? like, brandon i, I do actually cute. have a story for you uh, oh i get sorry i wasn't uh, yeah no but that's it so brandon actually brings a point um my when i did my sith warrior playthrough on swotor star wars the old republic i actually mm -hmm. played him like full dark side but I was picking all like the more optimistic and, and cheery <laughs> options. So like he comes off like your best friend and then he kills you. And that's, yeah. So, that's, I that's appreciate the, that. We, I'm not going to get into it here. We can talk to it after. But uh, my current character in a Starfinder campaign, uh, I think you'll all enjoy. It is it is so special in so many ways. And it kind of fits into this topic. But I'm not going to sidebar too far, far out. out. 
I will sidebar back to when we were discussing about whether or not they would hire Liam Neeson. My only statement to that is on the chance that they bring Qui-Gon in, this, this argument doesn't work if they don't bring him in, but for the sake of the argument, let's assume they're going to bring him in. If that is true, then my, part of my argument I would use towards the fact that they would still use Qui-Gon is that in, I don't remember if it's this episode, I think it's this episode when uh, around the time, I don't, I, I, I'm struggling to remember, I just remember it briefly because it's a brief moment. At some point, um, the, there's a voice line played that is uh, Liam Neeson's Qui-Gon. It's from episode one. I forget which line it is, and I forget when it happens. I just remember it happening because I remember thinking, oh, hey, Qui-Gon like, <laughs> was like my favorite character as soon as introduced, and they killed him in the same movie, and I was like, dang. But uh, they play that voice line. So if they're going to bring Qui-Gon back and they used that voice line without doing a separate recording, then it would make sense that they're going to bring Liam Neeson because if they weren't going to do that, they run into the issue of they're going to bring Qui-Gon and then people won't know it's Qui-Gon until he si until it would probably be Obi-Wan going, Qui-Gon? Like, it, it, you would have to have that moment. Otherwise, people would be like, who the hell is this ghosty man? Is this supposed to be Qui-Gon Jinn? And be like, oh, it is. Who is this man that they've got? Like, they, it kind of comes into that in, that backdoor thing. That based off of Disney's track record, they're not going to do that. They would. They would. Uh, the, they'll either the not do it or they'll get Liam Neeson. And you guys remember from the last episode of our show, I was hyped, in love, with Kenobi. This episode, mm -hmm. I am 180 different. Yeah, and it's because like. As much as I love Star Wars, I'm really, truly starting to see how dirty failing business people are at trying to promote <laughs> garbage. Like, oh, yeah. The, so, the, the worst definition of producer is in charge of all production right now. And, well, and that's across and we, we all the mediums. Yeah, and we can save that discussion for another time just because there's plenty of other channels. If you want to hear about people railing against Kathleen Kennedy... Well, no, I'm not talking about the individual. I'm talking about production heads. Like it, it, across the board, the majority of people in charge have lost all touch with fan bases, with their audience, with just normal people in normal life, and they're writing stuff all, all that doesn't say, like it wouldn't even pass a high school writing class. All, all I'm gonna say to all of that for now is let's just wait till this train comes to the end, and we'll make a decision. Yeah. And if we end up, and, and I'm, I'm. I will admit, I will be one of the first in line to say, yeah, this show is trash, what a waste of time, if that's what it is. We will continue to look at it as objectively and truthfully as we can, but we are out of time for the Kenobi discussion now, and it is time to transition to a quick word from our sponsor, through me. And that is, of course, we mentioned them last show, we will mention them on future shows, that is CNC Sutlery. So if you are looking for any of your Civil War reenactment supplies... They are your vendor. Uh, they provide costumes for a variety of different other wars surrounding the time period. So if you're looking for American Indian War, War of 1812, they do also supply that as well. Um, the reason why we have them as our sponsor on this show is because they are also connected directly to pop culture. They have provided costumes for the show 1883 
as well as the tints uh, in Yellowstone and a variety of other upcoming productions that I cannot speak on just yet. But when they do come out, we will definitely, of course, point them out. So cncsutlery.com, they do ship internationally. And uh, yeah, just check out their website. Even if you just want to take a quick look, you can get all kinds of, of Civil War reenactment supplies. And of course, if you're a production uh, looking to do any kind of Civil War style production or any kind of, of 1800s uh, style anything, definitely uh, give us a look at cmcsutlery.com. It's and I replicator and holodeck quality. Pre-replicator um, and holodeck technology. I don't think we're going to necessarily... I'm just going to leave the general discussion one up for the simple fact that I think we're just going to be bouncing around the, the place on this one because I do have some gripes to air, but it's not really a lot. And so I don't want to spend the entire segment. Uh, I think we're just going to keep it to general discussion. But, firstly, to bring us into the Orville, Brandon, our new one of our new dedicated writer brothers, actually decided to make the time to burn through both seasons and to then watch episode one of New Horizons. And so we're going to go ahead and just give him the entire screen for the minute or for a few oh, minutes no. to tell us your very unique perspective of because here's the thing guys he didn't just like he's brand new into this uh so not only is he a brand new fan he just has it all fresh in his mind so this is not something this is a very rare point <coughs> we're gonna make go ahead john one one more point is he has wanted to watch the show in the past but never had any motivation to do so until we started and this motivated him to go from beginning to end in the week and before so, this episode yes, aired. And so if you are one of those few pe one of those uh, people out there that hasn't tried the Orville, well, he's you. What he has to say. So, um I'll start with uh like I, uh, like they mentioned uh when I found out we we're going to be watching this, I have had interest uh, cuz I is Orville's one I heard about years ago. I was like, oh, that could be cool. Never watched it. And then I saw season three was coming out. I was like, oh, that could be cool. I should catch up. And then we talked about we were going to watch it. And I was like, oh, well, probably should watch it. So I have any idea what is happening. Because if I just jump into season three, that's a lot to just be lost on. So I started, I don't know, Wednesday or Thursday of last week is when I started. Maybe. Might have been Friday. I had a pretty busy week. And I am a binge watcher, so like binge watching that show wasn't even like an, that uncalled for for as far as I personally go. I, I binge watch anime constantly. So like the thing is though is for that to work, it has to be enjoyable and good to begin with. Binge watching something that is a slog is painful. It, it, it makes you want to do everything else in your life, including cleaning. So, like, I was going in fairly optimistic. And the first season, one of the things that I thought of a bunch is it... Where, what it is, and, like, how it's doing it is very different. But one of the things that it made me think of is when I was introduced to Doctor Who. In the sense that it's very clearly something that they they have a style to, and they had a desire to, and something they're conveying as far as technology goes... But also, especially for season one, there is a very clear budget that is involved here. Like, it's not like 
they have this just infinite budget that they can drop towards stuff. Like, looking at uh, Strange New Worlds versus Episode 1 of Orville, like, you can see the difference. Especially if you're, like, looking for it. I knew to, what I know kind of know what to look for. They're clever. They do a really clever job at hiding it at times. But it's clear that its budget is, you know, not t as high as it as I feel like it deserves. But with that, that means if your content is lacking, you it's going to show all over the place and it's it was a lot of fun. Um they they tackle a lot of subjects some i wasn't expecting um i'm forgetting it now but i remember one moment where i died i think it was in season two i just died of laughter because it was just so ridiculous brodus is one of the most entertaining characters to watch them introduced to because he's this people that they are very serious they don't like uh, where vulcans are very super logic based this is a race of individuals that had to deal with harsh terrible lives so every time something new is introduced oh it's when uh it's when um brodus uh is introduced just to cigarettes i'm not gonna ruin anything that but they get the introduced of the dude it is so wild i laughed so hard because i was like what is happening like this it's something i've seen in real life though so like it has that weird relate but there's a like they do a good job of keeping certain levels of humor but like doing it appropriately and then broaching topics and then like treating treating those topics and those subjects where it's clear like the way they're doing it is to make it make sense within the world but it's also something that you can relate to seeing elsewhere like they they broach them very well and they do a good job of something that i try to do um, especially when I get brought into discussions with friends and that's like try to see it from different angles like not just taking this the one side that is the primary side but like objectively being like am I being overly biased like uh, um, Ed the, the the captain does like one of the things I like about his character is they make a point very early on of like this dude is at least to some degree self-aware and will stop when dealing with the situation if everyone is like combating him and being like am i the am i the the dick here like is am i the one that's wrong or am I, or am i being like he tries to think objectively and from different angles like the cast is really entertaining my my all-time favorite character is isaac who's uh <laughs> supposed to be artificial intelligence but like this is one of the areas where the budget is lacking and instead of like trying to do this thing instead of trying to force it to be what it is it's very it's just clearly a man in a suit like there's at times i've i noticed you could see him breathing even though it's supposed to be an ai intelligence robot like but like they it stays and so like it helps it's a little bit of that like we have a minimal budget we could try and waste a bunch of money to make this look real or just accept we have a minimal budget and use the money elsewhere where it'll be more useful in the long run. It it was really like season one and two. I really liked. I liked a lot of the episodes. I didn't. I didn't hate watching it. Like I. I. I definitely, if I had managed to start it even without the show, I probably would have watched both the seasons. 
the first se epi the episode one of season three i liked overall but especially because i feel like the topic that they broach in it makes sense there are things i feel like are a bit much in some ways but like the topic itself contextually makes sense i don't know if it was best as your pilot episode for season three it feel it, it feel like it might have been better as a second choice possibly because of because of the feel of it 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 doesn't set you off it sets you off on a weird foot it it, it unsteady rocky first step like the episode's a solid episode it's not that the episode is bad it just is a strange pilot it's it, it's a weird story to t like it makes sense contextually within the story but also it it's like that thing of like if you literally just put it as episode two you probably could have been okay still but at the same time they want to end the episode with we're able to go back out so like it's hard to then shift that to episode two because now you're dealing with this while out in space but at the same time it's just like my feelings yeah. on it as the pilot yeah that I, was i did i did i felt the same way honestly i i felt that as a as a season opener it's not bad i don't hate it i like it it's mm. just the subject material was very sensitive i'm personally yeah. very sensitive to the subject material between 2013 and 2018 I, I lost four friends to suicide and so i felt it was a very heavy subject and that's you know that's what to what i expect from this show that i mean the third episode in season one was was something they else get he, they get on some heavy heavy ass topics and just like they treat it appropriately too like they don't they make a point of not trying to be overly biased and make the show where like we're being political but we're being political to this point it's we're being political and we're trying to broach and understand the sides and that this is a complicated issue they are they've done a great job of that like but yeah yeah, yeah you're hooked you're, you're a part um, of what we call oh it's a great show, show. It's awesome. Go ahead, Guys, I, I, I would actually argue that you can't do this as anything but the first episode back. See, that's, that identity. was my problem. Is, is It's like that thing of, like, when else could you do it? Like, there's no well, other place to do it. And I, and I would argue that... Um, here Here's what I'm going to phrase this as. Because some people may not have the, the extended homework, if you will. Mm -hmm. There's a Star Trek The Next Generation episode called The Best of Both Worlds. It is the season finale that is arguably one of the best episodes of Next Generation. And it mirrors identity almost perfectly. Okay? Um, the idea is, though, after the best of both worlds, the season finale and the season opener, because it was a two-parter, they do an episode where the crew is back on Earth and has to deal with the fallout of the trauma and the the terrible stuff that happened as to what happened in those two episodes. And that's what they were doing here. They're mm -hmm. literally mirroring the, one of the best next gen um, story arcs in almost perfect sync, but they're yeah. doing it in, in a way that that is different from the way next gen did it, but it is a mirror of what next gen well, did so well. It I do want to say real quick. If, 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 I do want to say real quick, I, John. I, if, 
just real quick, and then I'll let you take it. Is is that there? It does, and Brandon, it does flip on a positive though. Yeah. That it the fact that he did take this much of a risk in the opening season, uh, opening episode of season three, really sets a high bar, and and I think we have a lot to be excited for. for the rest there's of there's something I want to bring up later, um, because I want to let John talk and everything, but okay. I do have a thought that the show did cause me to have that I, I kind of want to bring up at a later note. Okay. Yeah. So what I, I want to bring up is just really interesting turn of events that's happened for me because I recently started watching TNG and I just watched Best of Both Worlds in a row. Like I just caught up. I'm pretty far into season four right now. Um, I just also re-binged Orville, but like I'm known for binging everything ever. So like as far as people going brandon opening this and his relationship with it is much better than mine because it's not a weird thing for me to binge anything i binge billions um anyway as far as the difference between uh seth mcfarland's best of both worlds he did it in such an interesting way that it's a four-part episode because we have episode four where or episode one where the Kaelons attack right we watch them attack episode two the Kaelons have an attack or episode two um number one is younger and on board the ship and falling in love with the captain and the captain is having all of the emotions back right at their original vibes because his emotions have never actually gone down right like he's always just been sad that he doesn't get the love of his life but in reality she's still the love of his life he won't let her go and we've seen that throughout the entire series we've seen him express his emotions and be the man that feels those thoughts right then episode three is the kalons have long since attacked and he was never the captain of the orville and he was always lost in space right with his best friend who was his best friend at episode one who has been his best friend the entire series so like nothing is breaking anything and then episode four we're back we've fixed the time continuum we've fixed the timeline but none of our feelings are better and also we lost a lot of our friends and family so now we've hired new crews we've hired new people and those new people have different feelings from different perspectives and know nothing Mm-hmm. about the reality that we know and we I, experience. I really got to quickly and give praise none to of it was wrong. The, the fact that he managed to juggle so much going on in this episode and, and do it so clearly and concisely, it, it's but of all the shows we've discussed tracked. tonight, Orville is the best. I will agree yeah. to that. Well, not even just all the shows. That's like If we talk about the writers, right? Like We have all these other production houses that are paying multiple writers to write multiple stories for you know, 10, 12, 6 episodes, right? But instead, Seth MacFarlane is writing his own series, and he's writing them in a row over years. Like He took that whole break in COVID that we all took, right? And that was almost two years of downtime and life-altering mental states, right? Like the individual times that we all had made us all rethink our relationship with the world. But what did Seth MacFarlane open with? 
post-COVID, after all of everything that's gone on for the last couple of years, a story that continued and also still kind of dealt with the things we all just experienced. I, I also really like, like he didn't him. break anything. And I also like him calling out the monopoly on grief um, in, in that mm, sense. Yeah. And basically saying like, basically saying but, what I say nowadays to but, everybody I come into contact with. Look, life is hard. And the last thing we should be doing is making it harder for each other. And, and that's... But then, but then also he, he's calling out the idea of making it harder by discussing how hard it is. Like every time you keep getting into the weeds, the weeds get more dirty. If you just take care of the weeds without constantly discussing how dirty they are, suddenly the problem isn't as hard as you thought it was. And that's because when he does say that, when he says you don't have a monopoly on grief, he doesn't go, I'm sad too. He goes, like, if you're we're all grieving. Gentlemen. Fix yourself. There is a lifelong saying, if you're going to eat crow, eat it when it's young and tender, or else you will surely eat it when it is old and gristly. <laughs> that's exactly. a solid quote. You need to send that to me. It only gets All right, well, Corion won the discussion. We're actually ending on time. Good night. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, no, but let's, um, you know, like, look, there, there's a lot to unpack in this episode. And there's a lot of pieces and components to resolving previous issues. And, and there's going to, like, it makes sense that there's a lot of hard feelings on the ship right now, right? They're, they're out of crisis mode for a change and they've got a chance to actually deal with some of this stuff. And, you know, look, I love that they took the doctor's kid. Yeah, who's that clearly, makes sense too. Yeah, who's clearly having a lot of trouble dealing with that. And that makes and sense, right? That was a perfect to mention, He would be the one that has the worst, most erratic feelings and be the most willing to display them openly. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. Well, that's why um, a lot of shows um, had a kid character on these like military dramas because you can't have an officer, you know, like breaking down and crying, right? Mm. But you could have a kid doing it, right? You can't have, you know, Captain Picard flipping out and panicking because nanites are taking over the ship but you could have Wesley panicking, right? That's the idea of why they used to do that. Now we're a little more open, right? Um, you know, like, you, you can do that now. So I, I think that was good. I also think that, look, um, there's also another saying that, you know, I, I'm surprised didn't come up. And it's actually a line from the, the movie The Crow. And it's, it can't rain all the time right there mm. is a point where you have to go you know what i can't live in a position where i'm angry all the time it's not healthy right you you have to reach a point where you go you know what there are some good things there are some rainbows there are some lights at the the end of the tunnel and let's hold on to those let's embrace those and yeah sometimes stuff sucks right um and we have to bite the bullet but I mean, look, I am really surprised that Mercer didn't bring up the argument of, you know, we've already as human beings long ago set the precedent of 
we may really despise certain scientists and certain beings, but to use their not to use the research that they did, we have to make the decision of yes, these were terrible people, but this research contains value so that we don't wind up in this situation again. Yeah, and and that's that's the age-old question separating the art from the artist. Like, as as far as the the history, the question is not whether or not those people solved equations. The question is whether or not those people were good. The equations work. The information works. Who found the information is despicable. But at least we can thank you for something. Well, like, I mean, we don't I, have to hate everything. Like we can actually parse this. We don't have to be black or white on every individual person. Yeah, you know, I mean, be... like, I, you know, given family history and everything, I've got kind of a dog in this race, and and the way I like to look at it as, um, even unwillingly, these people gave their lives to advance humankind. And it would be a sad memorial if we chucked their gift of their life out the window and ignored the advances that we got from it. If anything, it's I'm not celebrating the person who wrote the paper. I'm celebrating the people that gave their lives for that paper. Yeah, and there's even the thought... I mean, the thing that... I mean, it gets brought up, but it kind of gets dismissed as an argument point in the show is like the point of like it's not it's not even like with Isaac where he it's not it's not even it'd be one thing if like he also went on this crazy uh like murder march with everyone he was present he had been feeding them information as he was supposed to do and with the knowledge that likely nothing would come of it but like also he does something in all those events that allows people to make it through anyways like and not to mention he, he takes out the entire Orville uh, worth of uh, Kalons which were a lot there was a lot of them on that ship not to mention he didn't know what he was doing until they mm-hmm. told him and they're just mad at him because he was dispassionate when he told them he's like well yeah turns out that's what they were doing Mm-hmm. Like he's like, but it, hey guys, it comes to the I was hired thing. to join and work for you and learn about humanity, and then he goes, With... "Oh, by the way, there was a fine print that they didn't tell me until just now, and here's what it says: We also wanted to evaluate whether you should be allowed to be alive." And he just expressed that he just found that out, but being like the Kalon that he is, it was very binary, and people are like, "What?" And he's like. Yeah, I'm surprised too. Yeah, I mean, with that though, yeah. they do make the point a pretty heavy point of, like, they inadvertently make the point without like directly saying it, and that it's 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 definitely about the argument of racial bias. It's the association, like, you are of these people, so you are my mm-hmm. enemy, and it's like, no, I'm not. Like, I'm I helped you. Like, I I sacrificed any hope of ever returning to that to help you like make and, it through the well, and day that's the crazy part is they also continued that idea of racial bias 
is that like mm. when he woke up and he went to thank her, she said, "I didn't do it for you." Well, I mean, like, to be fair, I that, did it that for my to the point race. Of, well, no, um, like it, it goes back to like how do those those racial biases continue despite people doing good things for other people? And it's like, well, they don't necessarily do them for the people you thought they were doing them for. They mm-hmm. do them for their own other feelings and that's what it showed is this this lady was able to separate her racial bias do something but then still grab that racial bias on her way out and that's how it continues yeah i mean look there's also another point to it that um another star trek next generation episode actually made where they have the one captain uh who is o'brien's previous captain who's gone on like a one-man war against the Cardassians. And there's a point where Picard goes, you know, I think that sometimes hatred becomes like old leather. It's just so comfortable a thing to have on that you find it almost impossible to take it off. And you almost wonder if that's where they're going to take this Ensign character. Well, and it's warm. Yeah. It's comfortable. It it works every time. Like at the very least nobody hits you back cuz they're so worried about how mean you can be to them. Like you've been mean to so many other people, you've been angry and hateful to so many other people. What happens if they turn it on me? And that's what that leather really is. Is it is just beat perforated skin. it's just sadness like the more you you learn to protect yourself the less you learn to live like you hide and 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 people start to hide from you and so you stop listening yeah and i mean look i really hope that we wind up having a moment between isaac and this this ensign where they finally do kind of resolve things and both of them get to a place where she's like i'm not 100% you know like I'm not in the Isaac fan club or anything like that but I can work with you right like I can work I I think they will yeah Uh, they'll drag it out a little bit I hope they do I don't see I don't see Seth MacFarlane making it that easy like I feel like he's going to make her and and that's the beautiful thing about her it would be like a mid to late season thing I think like there's going to be a lot of of this conflict and you're, they're going to be I stuck in a situation where they have to. I don't see it being a direct relationship between Isaac and herself. Instead, I see it being like indirect, where like she starts proposing things that the Kalons did to humans mm. to help protect the ship and to protect humanity. And then suddenly the captain is going to pull her aside because she is a young ensign. Like Ensign is the lowest rank. in the officer corps and so as an ensign she is literally our newbie our our first real newbie because like as far as every other character in the show goes they basically understand the world that they came from and the world that they're going to experience like they're pretty established for now like for the first time we have a post 9-11 like military person somebody who grew up experiencing 9-11 wasn't old enough to join right away but 
ate all the propaganda, ate all the experience, and maybe even experienced something like the Boston bombing, something close to 9-11 to some degree, right before they joined the military. And now they're an ensign on a starship. And I think some like the way Seth MacFarlane writes is I feel like that that mid-episode that we're going to get is not going to be Charlie being oh i understand you isaac now i can learn to meet you instead charlie's going to become isaac she's going to start to vote for things that the kalons were doing to humans and that's when captain or number one are going to take her aside and be like do you not see how much you sound like a kalon right now and then that's when she's going to start to realize her relationship to isaac and then also like I think what we're going to get is bits and pieces of her hearing Isaac's journey. Like she's going to be like, wait, I thought Isaac was just didn't care about anything. It's like, no, he protected those two kids for like three days on a (laughs) hostile world. And like, she's going to be like, wait, that, that, that that doesn't compute. Like, and I think that's the journey we're going to go on. She's going to become the Kalon. Not so much. Dude. I never considered that like post 9-11 analogy yeah. there. Oh, that is really cool. Thank you for that. That is something I hadn't thought of. Well, dude, if, I mean, if you look sense. at a lot of American lore, I, I didn't know about it either, but somebody said that that was Zack Snyder's original intent with Batman versus Superman was that Superman was the rah, rah, rah America go post 9-11 and Batman was the you can't handle the truth people have to do dark so that nobody else can so that people can sleep peaceably at night and that to me is like when i started realizing that like directors and writers taint their work with reality as they experienced it and a lot of americans especially the people you know taking over the writing staff are 9-11 kids and we all had different relationships with it and you can see the ones that like grew up near new york and grew up actually close to ground zero and their relationship is so much darker whereas kids like us like me i grew up in idaho so like i have no relationship to what happened in new york besides what i saw on the tv Mm -hmm. and then my the way I was relate like raised to love Americans, like those kinds of things affect my relationship with how those people feel. But in reality, they feel it a whole lot darker than I ever could and ever will, because I didn't actually witness the chaos. As far as Boise's concerned, I missed a field trip. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, so- for for me, it was kind of wild. I was actually starting at nyu that week see that's real that's close that's ground zero and so like your relationship is that what sparked your interest in the military or were you post Uh, well my 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 family is uh, my mom was navy my dad was army the one thing that they could agree on together was that the air force sucked um <laughs> you know uh. <laughs> um, well, but the you reason know, i well, posed that question you know, is because it felt like no, closer right, towards the end of the 90s the majority of media was saying that if you join the military you're literally just becoming a sheep to be tested on like you're not going to become you're not you're never going to be a hero because there's no war to go to so i wonder if that affected you and your parents before 9-11 and then you experiencing 9-11 were like okay 
now well, being no, I mean, like, my, my family had a huge military heritage, but for me, what what I took away from 9-11 was as kind of the outsider that got to see the, the aftermath and everything else going on. Also, for the record, being on a on a student visa when that's how the, the the really terrible people got in being on a student visa in new york at that time was an interesting experience but for me it was it was an outsider perspective and it was really it was really weird because um i guess the best way to put it is it's the first time i'd ever seen american confidence shaken i guess is the best way for me to explain it um like everyone was kind of walking around in this this fog of they're not sure if the fight's coming to them suddenly and then came the anger and the the need to strike back and watching that all occur That's in real so time weird um it was fascinating and also watching like communities that were completely separate that completely would have nothing to do with each other suddenly for the first time coming together and all agree like all agreeing that hey you know we may not always get along but screw those guys right nobody should have done that to you yeah exactly that was something yeah. that was interesting See, for me to watch the, the reason why i say that's so weird is because like from my perspective the moment we saw that happen it was like all right let's go like the dog started barking it was ready to start packing up because like being from a hick town that's the only other option it's like you'd be a farmer or you'd be in the military and then all of a sudden like you want to be in the military because somebody hit your little brother somebody hit your town like it, that rah rah let's go anger came immediately whereas you're saying like being on the in ground in New York it was like whoa there, there, there and was a, then they got angry yeah there were, there was like this shock period right where they were sitting mm -hmm. there going like I guess the best way to put it is it it feels a lot and again this is an outsider perspective um, and I also want to say that it speaks to the resolve well, of the like American out people because you yeah. said you were there well yeah but I, I'm, wait I'm were you on the say, ground when it occurred no I was actually supposed to start school uh, the next week so I hadn't actually moved down to the the brownstone I was going to be staying in so literally I was packing my bags and watching the news and going well I think classes are going to be a little delayed um, <laughs> but by the time I got down there which was probably about two weeks later because the borders were closed for a while mm. um, there was this shock and there was this collectivism there was this moment of like okay guys it is actually possible the enemy will get beyond the gates right um it was that kind of moment of shock followed by new york kind of getting on the bandwagon of everybody else of okay we can't let this keep us down we cannot allow this to to stop us we need to come back we need to hit them hard in response and we also need to rebuild and come back stronger which I will say for the record of the last day of my school, my schooling at NYU. That's what I was seeing. Mm -hmm. I was seeing that for lack of a better term, America resurgent kind of energy, right? That we've moved beyond this. We are who we are now and we are ready to, to move forward in a, 
um, you know, in a solid footing and a, uh, an understanding of who we are now. So that was my perspective on it. And it, to me, it's interesting hearing that, like, because the, mil- the American military perspective was just not something I had. So hearing hmm. that there's like this major culture shift between pre 9-11 soldiers and post 9-11 soldiers is fascinating to me. I, I know right well, after, so it, it, yeah. It really depends on the branch. Um, like I, I've met a few people that were in the Marines the entire time from the Gulf War all the way up until they got out right around when I got in. And I met a few people that were in during the Gulf War and then got out after the Gulf War. And uh, so I met quite a few people um, from quite a few different backgrounds. And there was a lot of this, this, there was this motivation and, and almost all of them felt like it was artificial. Like, as far as most people go, the idea of joining the military is like, how do I become the most anti-bully bully? right like how do i do the thing that stops the most bad making me the most good but also not having to be nice about it because like a a lot of people don't see the military as being this um experience where you become a good guy and you're like the jedi and you're you know super logical and quizzical and like you you know instead you're the kind of guy that will punch a bad person for no reason like you just know they're bad and you're gonna hit them and you're gonna hard right and that that's like what the military was meant to be but then when we see like what happened with 9-11 it suddenly became like no now you are the hero now you are the noble warrior again because now you have a noble cause and that sparked a lot more people to join but then by the time like when i joined that noble cause was for like the least ambitious of people (laughs) like as far as nobility goes, joining the military was going back into going to go join the angry people to be angry legally. Mm-hmm. And that is like what we're kind of seeing in a lot of our media is that like the amount of people who care about the military, who care to take the time to learn about the military, especially like when you compare it to the, t- the last two books we read right when the forever war and starship troopers their relationship to the military is by the numbers they know exactly what they're talking about reacher they never mess with ranks they never he never get lee child never gets reacher's ranks wrong any rank that he interacted with it's in accordance with the ucmj right and those levels of um, relationship with but yeah i think using that as a spring I was going to say, using it as a springboard, uh, talking about the military ranks and referring back to Ensign on the ship, I think, uh, and I, th- I want to say Corian mentioned this a little while ago, but my brain sucks. I think there's going to end up being a conversation again, be, uh, with going down that route of like ha- uh, Ensign probably will start to have some thoughts and focuses like where she's becoming more antagonistic, like the Kalons are like, these guys are a problem so we just need to remove them this being the flip side of that but i think it because it's going how it'll affect her prejudice and her interactions with isaac and them both being on the bridge at the same time there's there will end up being another conversation with her and at least um uh morrison morris and or um wow i just forgot her name um 
What, Kelly Grayson, the Kelly, first yeah, Kelly. Yeah. There's going to be end up being another conversation of like, you, where I can't tell you how to feel. I feel like at some point there's gonna have to end up being a conversation if this progresses of like I can't tell you how to feel, but at the same time, I will tell you how you need to act because in this location, because it it is even though it is very much like oh they're exploring space it is kind of it's a, a military s situation to some degree well, so like the, there are the expectations can... of behavior. Yeah, the only way they can explore space so efficiently is if they do it by the numbers. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, they're going to always have garbage studies. But if they do it in a militaristic fashion, they're going to get the most efficient research and exploration. And that's why they have this. Like That's the whole point of Fleet Command. Is like It's not about running the galaxy. It's about exploring the galaxy. If anything, this is a military science emphasis on the science yeah. yeah um i'm also hoping that like just seeing i will say this though um the ship definitely does the ship and like every piece of the the window dressing and the set design and whatnot definitely feels upgraded in the show it do, oh dude hands down <laughs> oh yeah. my what did god you guys, yes what did you guys think of how that's like that was part of this like the whole real like the reason they're in space dock is to upgrade their ship which is it's, simultaneously like a show of their budget which is simultaneously the reason why this episode clever. had to well, be the first episode your your original point um was lingered in my head a bit because i mean you're you were making a comparison between the writing of the episode and the actual production and i'm well how much do we know in the last few years behind the scenes? Because I know that they've um, they had to shut down production a couple of times. Um, like, was there a lot of change in the crew and the cast? Did they lose people? Were there uh, was there turmoil? Was it positive? Uh, well, we know they for sure lost Norm Macdonald. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm just wondering how much the season might reflect their on their own experiences. Well, that, that, right. that's an awesome and question. I know, like, PJ from Orville Nation, which all of you should be subscribed to. If you're not, go go do that right now. Mm -hmm. Just pause us, do that, yes, come right absolutely. back. Um, absolutely. But, uh, and while you're at it, Maria from T and Telly as well. But anyway, um, he would know better, but my understanding is they more or less managed to keep the crew together for the most part for the show. Um, but it was a bit of a challenge, is my understanding. What made the difference was going to Hulu um, because they got a bit of a budget increase by going there as opposed to yeah. on television. So that that's my yeah, understanding. I, from what and and they're also is... able to write the... They're also now able to write scripts to their own format rather than you know, the eight-minute acts of a, of a television program with commercials, Ooh. right? Yeah. So... On a, on a, from what on I've been listening quick, to, just, just one sec, on, uh, on the writing part, um, from what I've learned from majority of reviews and people talking about it, is they're saying that they've already written and mostly taped season four because like they were mostly done with season three and then they had to break up and then based on slowly getting chances to get back together. 
they were able to tape a lot of season four in between and then norm mcdonald passed away somewhere in like the middle of taping season four that's what i've heard so like a lot of who they could retain they did retain and for how long they retain them is possibly all the way to the end of season four already so um i pulled up orville nation uh and i because i i wasn't subscribed but i pulled them up and <laughs> as i went to click subscribe the first video that pops up for them is from two days ago and his title for it is sunday night let's go yes <laughs> yeah that that i won't lie that moment like i liked like the him trying to be like i need to hang out with some people so and, and and brodus being like I do not think you'll like it. <laughs> this is not a game for humans. He's like, come on, he learned tossing. He's like, so what? We just, oh my god, let's go. <laughs> it just like the the sheer excitement on the two of them was just so glorious. It was like, you have nailed this. This is this this one moment fits the group of characters you have here because it would be Ed who holds on to it because he's like. So wait, is this just hot potato? That's clearly where he was gonna go with it, and then a, not, a blade was through his hand. And he's just like, "Oh my god, <laughs> what have I done?" <laughs> of oh, course, it, it would be a bloody sport. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, but that's part of the fun of the, those characters, right? Like, yeah, the, the you know, uh, straight up, um, the Mocklins are probably, in my opinion, pro if. If we're going to take a look at Seth's contributions to science fiction, the Mocklins might be possibly the, his greatest contribution Dude. in terms of uniqueness in the writing. Like, they they are so entertaining in some wild ways because they're they're blunt. Like, and like they are curious about things. But I will say, like, some of the ones that really deals well, into some of their really strong social stuff, he he does very well like approaching yeah. that subject yeah i want um, right? to jump in and piggyback on that real quick um just because i i completely agree they, they are probably one of the best races added into all of sci-fi-dom because they, they are just so polarizing in of themselves and i don't mean mm -hmm. oops, i don't mean just in their social issue aspects I also mean just just as as a, and as an entire concept from urinating once a year to the the it's just a whole the, event just the, that oh my gosh him smoking on the bridge is probably one of the funniest, funniest this, moments well, dude, in all of sci-fi history. Holy the reason, shit! That the reason oh, the mustache smoking, dude. The, no, the it's right. The mustache smoking. is hands down my favorite thing, especially because it worked so well it was that yes. thing of like i saw it and i was like if this man in real life doesn't have a mustache i'm un i'm now unhappy because that mustache is so powerful <laughs> dude the smoking the whole reason they had to quit was purely because of the fit it had nothing to do with like any long-term side effects they just got the worst parts of smoking which is yeah. the incessant need and the incessant <laughs> fits if you don't when, smoke when they walk they, in it's just a giant bowl of cigarette butts angry and it's supported by the build-up oh god the bowl of cigarettes the build-up to those absurdities you know like the, the second time oh, yeah. it's like the third time we see him and he's like i would like to try ice cream and then he goes and watches 
freaking sound of music. Yeah. Oh Dude, my God. When yeah. they when they used when they used Rudolph to convince him in the episode about not changing his daughter's sex, that like the whole topic's ve- taken very seriously, and he's very hard. Rudolph. And then they show him Rudolph, and I just love how. And uh, John and one of my favorite, the pilot who I love, are just sitting there eating popcorn like, we know how this is going to end. We know what's happening, and we know this man. Like, it shows that these two people who interact and mess with him all the time, but even though they're always messing with him, it's in that, like, we love you kind of way of messing with a dude, so, like, we actually pay attention to who you are. So they knew going into that room, like, this is this is gonna do it. Well, and the thing the is, Brandon, you, you bring it, up my it needs point to be about a how clear how, fable. You you bring up how polarizing they are. Yeah. That's my point. Is because yes, the Rudolph thing is hilarious, but that was also the moment like I almost teared up at the end of episode three because of that. Mm-hmm. Because the it, it was like oh, I'm probably gonna tear up now thinking about it because I'm tired. Um, it was the fact that right at the end of that episode, when he gives his son the Rudolph, and it's like an affirmation that, you know, he's going to love his son regardless of the fact that he was passionate that he should not have been changed. And that yeah. is just, that in of itself is such a powerful moment. And that was, yeah, like I said, episode three of season one, that was when the show went from, hey, you know, this could be, oh my God, this is amazing. So. Well, let's not forget that the fact that Rudolph is all it takes for a lot of kids today. Mm-hmm. Like that's as far as they need to go. They I mean, see it's, the story it, of Rudolph, and they go different it's people a good are story. different, and they're probably useful in their differences. So we shouldn't exterminate them, and we it's, shouldn't belittle just... their existence. Yeah. It look there, there's so many lost your brand it's that the the... has been severed oh i think you're coming back i think you're coming back yeah okay just rewind the video to so you can remember what you were saying when you cut out no i'm just kidding just... uh you guys didn't cut out for me <laughs> um i was just i was trying to say like it comes back to the whole Bru- uh, brutus is probably like he it's hard to say but he's like my second third favorite character isaac hands down is my is my favorite character on this ship because he he goes beyond being the straight man in the group like he is as like like but i mean this kind of leans into how i mentioned earlier there's something from this episode that sunk in to me i something i've been theorizing for a while um like he is he's just like look i'm more like it's very much like this he makes a point of you know i am more intelligent to you like you shouldn't feel bad that i'm smarter than you i am an artificial and i'm a computer like it's not there's nothing you did to not be as intelligent as me it's like i'm not even like dogging on you for you being less intelligent it's just a statement of fact it is it's just what it is as i am incapable of stuttering i assume you heard me he's even he's even superior at being trash yeah <laughs> like when 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 he tries when they try to teach him practical jokes so like are you not surprised did i not get you at the most inopportune time you took my leg like ha ha like, like oh, yeah, i got perfect. you <laughs> you see i don't know to me i i i guess being in it as long as i have I really identify with Mercer because, like, 
It mm. feels like the reason why he's on this ship was because everyone thought he's a screw up, and he isn't. He's actually really competent. It's yeah. just surrounded by screw ups, <laughs> and you know, like, and he feels it, right? Like, yeah. there are moments where you could just see him like do the full head desk, hand in yeah. hands. Like, like, why am I on this <laughs> damn ship with these idiots? Right. The funny thing though is, is Mercer couldn't get along with anybody else. Well, exactly, like he couldn't right? command he could never command a group of straight arrows because he's never gonna <laughs> feel like a straight arrow oh, <laughs> but when he's on a group of crazies yeah he's the least crazy and thus <laughs> episode one john's like so our last captain was super cool and he lives have drinks that was so clearly that like hey so uh the last mom's boyfriend <laughs> was cool let me have ice cream for breakfast orientation <laughs> like, like can i have ice cream for breakfast and he's just like I mean, sure. Like, I don't... Like, it's a thing of, like, I don't know if that really happened, but also I want you to like me, and also I don't know if I care. Like, yeah, just don't don't spit on the electronics. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I said this in another discussion, but ultimately I, I want to get to a point where they, they start playing music on the bridge. <laughs> and, and I want him to like. It'll be big Malloy, head. Yeah, I want Malloy to get ready, and he's gonna like pull up some metal music. But then the ship's gonna get hit, and he pushes the console, and he accidentally pulls up something like super sappy. Yeah, I'll make love to you, and that's the song we're gonna hear while they're fighting <laughs> for the whole battle. The whole battle. I wanted to be Barbie Girl by Aqua. That's what I want. Oh, that works. <laughs> I, want, I want it to be. I want it to be some. Like, come on, fam. Barbie, let's go party. Yep, exactly. Yep, as they get hit, like it would just be so good. Meanwhile, ever Bros would be like, "What is this magnificent music I hear?" Like it would be <laughs> that kind of thing of like, "This is the sound of gods." <laughs> well, you, you, you no. saw him in the simulator when they took him when they had to the. the Oh, oh, dude, God, that was such a episode. Oh, I loved that they not already... only... W they were both raving. Like, they were like... <laughs> they already had Dolly Parton become the <laughs> yeah. fight song for... Yeah, uh, for, the for, the, for the female yeah. mom. <laughs> dude. Right, he, so the best like, part is when, when Morris like... is like, that would be... That would happen. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, they, they need to fight... <laughs> Like an actual fight scene, and it's Miley Cyrus's uh, oh, America ball. or USA. Party in the USA. Party oh, in the USA. Oh, dude, Wrecking Ball or Party. Wrecking USA, Ball. Either of those two. Yeah. Wrecking Ball would be better. And then suddenly, like, it's a fight with the Mocklins, and they come in blasting with, with, that with over the hailing frequencies. <laughs> like they've just embraced Dolly Parton and her children, and. Well, supposedly there's a story out the there, and I, I don't know if it's true, but apparently there was, like, a, an American unit, I think it was in Iraq or Afghanistan, that was, like, pinned, and they were in trouble, and apparently the British forces came in blasting through their, their APC, uh, just on giant loudspeakers, you know, and that's apparently what they did to distract the enemy. <laughs> so that they could successfully get away i don't I, i've heard that it's you know made up i don't i don't know for sure but even it's like it's that kind of stuff that i think Look, seth man. could put in and that would just work later we'll talk about my all-time favorite world war uh, i think it's world war ii not world war one uh veteran mad dog yes that's a he his biography is one of the greatest reads i've ever read oh, about, about a, a real Jack life person Churchill? Yeah. 
Yeah, we no, could do uh, a special on him. <laughs> but the, the dude who went to World War II with a longbow and a bag. And Mad bag Jack Churchill. Yeah, only, yeah. only the only person to have a confirmed longbow kill in World War II. That man got captured multiple times and escaped multiple times. The first, I think the first and second, he escaped and then took his captors as prisoner. <laughs> like, well, there, he, there, he's insane. Yeah, do you know there, what he there's said? There's one story where, uh, that I heard that uh, on D-Day, they saw him like just bagpiping his way onto the beach. And when they asked the German uh, soldiers uh, like that they captured, like, why didn't you shoot at him? They were like, well, we just thought he was a crazy person. We didn't see him as a threat. <laughs> like, he's just a man on the beach with bagpipes. Like, what? Do, what is that supposed to be? Yeah, when but he was trying to... Was... Be, before we go too long, uh, a thought I've had for, for from pretty early in Season 1 through Season 3, and the, the interesting thing is, after something that is said in Episode 3, I have mixed feelings on whether or not it's something... If I think it's a real thing, and they were trying to gaslight you into thinking it's not a real thing, or if a statement that is made in in or not episode in in episode one of season three is what I'm referring to, or if the statement that is killed. So what it is is all throughout I've slowly as I've because Isaac's been more or less one of my favorite characters just to watch for similar reasons to Brutus, uh, if I'm being uh, Brutus, if I'm being honest. Uh, because they kind of have similar things, but then their approach to things are different because the, you know, thought process, right? But, like, one of the things that is brought up incessantly and constantly is that because Isaac is an AI, I do not have the capability of feeling emotion. But then you see these small moments, and it's like, is it that the characters are placing it that emotion on him, or is it that his interactions with these, these humans over time are slowly like the whole like theory with with the vulcan in star trek is it slowly starting to be this thing of like what I, dictates that an ai can't feel emotions because emotion is not a biological thing inherently it is through our brains which is its its own no, craziness so like i think i think this is the depiction of the reality of science so like mm -hmm. emotions are very obviously like visible on mri scans mm -hmm. but the formulation and the formula for those emotions is very confusing mm -hmm. and so what they're showing is that it has taken three seasons for isaac to finally develop a working algorithm for and he's in denial emotion and he's well, it's not, he's not in denial. That's the crazy part is that, like, even when he talks to the doctor, uh, when he returns, he accepts that, like, he did something emotional. Like, his, as far as best options go, self-deletion was not his best option. His best option was to disappear, was to make no, it, it look like it... he deleted and leave. But instead, he stopped like it was look like self-deletion and leave look like he died look mm -hmm. like he died in valor so that everybody that did love him could continue to love him and everybody that hated him at least kind of felt justified that like he went out with mm -hmm. glory yeah and right I do want to point and so out too, so, so there, there was, was no just like, like problem but instead his emotion algorithm stopped him 
Yeah. And I, mean, I do, do want to to add to Brandon's point a little bit on what he's saying. I do want to point out to Brandon. I don't know what your familiarity is with the next generation. Um, John can probably agree with this, but I do have to give him some more credit to McFarland for focus for keeping Isaac a more true to form AI. Whereas Data, who's trying to become more human, they have a bit more leeway in TNG over the years as he evolves, and then of course they give him the emotion ship, which you know that just throws everything out the window. I think Data um, Data's way closer to a real super intelligent artificial intelligence um, versus. Isaac, Isaac is closer to a general intelligent yeah, artificial intelligence, exactly. intelligence mm-hmm. which is you know Fine. tossing quarters yeah 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 like but like one of the things too is like and I caught this early on is when I weirdly really like some of the weird relationship stuff they do I that they've played with I've really liked for example the doctor and Isaac that was incredibly interesting to watch and then also that realization at the end of like go ahead is isaac voiced by data no no uh you actually see they sound like exactly the same person yeah you actually see his actor on screen when he uh when they go on that's true yeah yeah that's him that's the actual actor which that was clever i that was that was pretty clever like data um but like exactly like data they they bring up the point of like at one point when everything's broken off and he's talking to captain morris and they're having that discussion and he points out to him like he listens to isaac and then like under because that dude they make a point of ed kind of coming off as a buffoon at times but then like when they make a point of like when he shows intelligence he shows that he's an incredibly intelligent like his character's super smart it's just he makes some bad life decisions here and there that leads him into situations but like he he that's, that's knows how to thing. think and it's deal like, with people and so like the, he listens to isaac to, like, and is and translates like he recognizes like you're feeling emotion but i can't say that to you because you're going to dismiss what i say so i have to phrase this in a way that you will accept so it has to do with your algorithms like oh it was right. so good i think i think that speaks a lot to seth MacFarlane's writing and acting is that mm-hmm. like even his buffoonery is actually explained like when yeah. uh it turns out the reason why kelly became infatuated and was so willing to finally like cheat on him was because she was betrayed by the pheromones released by that species and even though they both recognize it they both grown despite it and because of that growth they're not the same people and that's why kelly doesn't harbor the same feelings like she feels like he betrayed her because he was so quick to just go i'm out i'm done also where I, she I do, was like are, wait i love you up, but for some reason i love him we are coming up to the end and i do just want to share this this thought real quick so just look at the discussion we just had guys i, I mean we went beyond just the season three opening we ended up going all the way back through, this turned into a, like a full-on orbital discussion which is fantastic and we could probably go on for another few more hours because look at all the content that was packed in to just those those two seasons alone already and so this is actually why as as good of a job as i think mcfarland would have 
done. I still think he should be given an opportunity he, to do a Trek no, show. But look at well, what he was able thing, to do is, is not having his hands McFarlane's, tied. Well, no, no, McFarlane's never been a bad writer. Even no, Family no, Guy no. is a perfect representation of the majority of reality. Like, obviously, it's taken to farcical terms, but it, at the end of the day, he doesn't mistake anything about modern society and modern choices and modern feelings. Like, no, but what's, he, what's he takes ironic, the time to though, write quality characters what's ironic, at all though, points. Is how much this show probably would not have succeeded having Star Trek on the title, because with how much jokes and how much absurdity he goes into... I don't think you would have had this much response for this original product that you do now. I, I think he would, because I I, I no, really feel like the, the Orville the Orville got, is so. every well no see see I think the Orville is everything Lower Decks tried to be, right? Like the Orville is X has one more season but, to win me over. But like, see, like I'm not I'm not fully but, sold. Well on no this no show. no the Lower Decks I don't. I, I love the Lower Decks. I liked season one and I like season two and I'm excited for season three. What I mean about Orville being the Lower Decks is that like Picard could arrive on the Orville at any time and say, oh, this is why you have a smaller ship than me and then leave. They can still do that. And I would 100% believe that that is Star Wars. I would, er, Star Wars, Star Trek. Like I would, <laughs> I would have no problem. Yeah, I'm sorry. Anyway. You don't tolerate (laughs) such blasphemy on the Ryder Brothers. You get your star series right or you don't... Uh, You don't talk at all. Fucking uh, moron. Oops. All right, 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 let's let's patrol. (laughs) Let's patrol in here. I, I wouldn't... Like, what I mean is, though, is, like, literally at any point in Season 3, if Picard in the enterprise showed up for one minute and just was like and that is why we don't let people like ed mercer on the galaxy class starships and then left oh they could still do that i would 100 percent exactly that's what i mean that's what i mean is like i would believe that everything that's ever happened to him is real and he is just the lower version of a captain like if Picard is perfection. Ed is average. Actually, I want to see... You know what I want to see? It makes Picard look better. You know what I want to see? I like where you're going, John, but I would rather see Kate Mulgrew in that Picard-esque role. Not as Janeway, but as a more of a Picard, serious, tea-drinking, boring archetype who is the captain of the flag. Yeah. I think that would be a hilarious way to go about but, it. And I'm sure she's not signed but I think... for it. But I think as far as, like, captains go, like, we even saw, like, TNG, Captain Picard, when he gets a lower-class ship captain on his ship, like, he's respectful because he's Picard and he's the noble hero. But at the same time, when he talks to, like, number one, he's like, look at this kid showing up on my ship. Like, what do you think he thinks about my galaxy? He's got nothing on this galaxy, right? And, And I think that would be hilarious because it, it fits, right? It's like the 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 Orville isn't the flagship. It's not even top ten greatest ships in Fleet Academy. It is literally 
the I, orb. I think you could it, do it's... it. I think you could do both methods though, because I because I would see if he does get Stewart to to well, play no, the did. role that you're yeah, doing. It's gonna turn into that into that relationship that we see on American Dad between uh, Patrick Stewart's character and the CIA and Stan Smith. But that would also yes. be a funny way to do it too. Yeah, exactly, and that's my point. Is like Seth MacFarlane, as far as writers goes, as far as like authors goes, is he knows how to respect the universe that he's within, but he can bring every cartoon we've ever seen, every comedy we've ever enjoyed, and morph yeah. it into the world comfortably. All right, we are. Like, coming he down doesn't to the, disrespect are, Star Wars yeah, in any. Or, yeah, we are coming down to the wire. And even Star Wars, even with Blue Harvest, to, it was better than any relationship with Kenobi. Like, Blue Harvest is a better justification of who Obi-Wan was than the Kenobi I, we're currently I, getting I based totally on episode 100 3. I disagree let's, with let's that. Let's, let's get Chris in for, the, like, the last couple minutes to share his thoughts since he's had a chance to absorb the discussion and, and maybe give some feedback. <laughs> <laughs> You're asking my brain to work right now. It's been very we're, we're down to the lately. last six minutes of broadcast, buddy. Uh, I'm, you know, overall, I'm just, I'm just really happy to watch something good, whether whatever it is, whether it's Star Trek or Star Wars or the Art Warville, something that's well written, something with well developed characters. I mean, uh, if, if I'm talking about everything that we've been talking about tonight. Honestly, something aside, even Reva's acting or, um, or, or the character. It's like I want more of a backstory. I want to know why I care about the characters, you know, not just just uh, you know an archetype. And I care about the characters on the Orville, and uh, I'd like to see them grow because sometimes you know, it's like it's another thing I think about with 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 writing with shows. Like sometimes you get those shows where it's like everything changes in the episode, and yet it's exactly the same the next episode. It's like The Simpsons and go on for thirty years, and they're all exactly the same as they were in the first episode. I wouldn't want to see that with the Orville. I want to see the characters actually change and grow and not be the same as I remember them in the first season. And I, and I hope that we see that this season. Yeah, and I think we've seen that a lot, even just in the first two seasons. Because, I mean, look how much the discussion shifted back and forth between all the different high points of, of the seasons. And, I mean, you know, that's why I said, like, like Coriolanus nail meat hammerhead because... That is so correct. The Mocklins are such an interesting race to to build on and to continue to make make. Oh, they just have so many funny jokes uh, from that. I mean, the smoking one is probably one of my favorites. I mean, also being an, an, uh, a recovering smoker myself. I mean, that that was very much. I just appreciated that every aspect about that. It's like so. It's like, yep, yep. I know the feeling. Yep, the irritability. Yep, been there, done that, oh, yeah. smoked that. Don't ever. I- Thank quit the, like, like 20, 20 times. times. Yeah, exactly. Until the last time. <laughs> Finally. Yeah, I, I'm totally right there with you. Um, anything else? Anyone, I will quit whenever I decide Anyone to. want to get anything in? Uh, I was just going to say the other one that, that Gordis made me laugh at was his uh, simulator addiction. Oh, yeah, that was a good one. That was so good. <laughs> Stupid. That was That's why I'm saying simulator addiction. Yeah, if he I'm says it the way he says it, here. you're allowed to say no. We, we know what he means. <laughs> that was that one, dude. Uh, I will say a 
a very melancholy one that TNG. I really liked. Um, that I really liked that was cool to show because there's a character that I've kind of liked as a character, but she hasn't had a ton of opportunities to like show anything as an individual character. She's always been useful in groups, and that is. I forget her name, but she's the replace this the security chief replacement. Um, because everyone loved the original security. Oh, Kiali. Yeah, Kiali. Kiali's uh, been a yeah, cool character. I like Kiali more she's... than the other one. Oh, really? I do. Personally. So, um, she's she's, she's like augmented. Saucy and comfortable. Oh yeah, that's true. Uh, she's augmented a lot of other people's stories, but like up until a certain point, she doesn't really have much of her own and the the one of the only times you kind of get like this own interpersonal story with her is with the Mocklin engineer and it's it's not and, and, and it's not a happy ending it's very melancholy because she where she she get <laughs> where where she falls more or less in love with this Mocklin and he her she also has this position that because she's security chief, she has to uphold and follow through on her duty. Like, she can't not do what she's supposed to do because that ca that can then cause chaos and other problems elsewhere or down the road. So, like, you have this character who's doing something she kind of doesn't want to do, but recognizes she has to do it. And like it was this really it was it was actually it was interesting it was a super interesting character moment i would like more with her that isn't like everyone around her and she's augmenting their story i'd like more for her because it's it's harder it's it, it causes me a harder time to really like like chris is saying is like well you gotta feed me those things to help me invest into this character like i've seen how she is with everyone else but if you don't give me enough for her, then it's she's adaptive from the people around her and doesn't have her own story, and that's, which can and be a story in itself. And that is unfortunately where we got to end it. Um, lots of good points, guys. Excellent discussion tonight. Fantastic overall. Uh, next week, we're going to return to our normal two-hour broadcast because this was a lot, but I think we packed it in, and I think we'll, we'll get it down to a science next week. Um, I just want to thank everybody for watching. Please check out Orville Nation and Maria with Teen Telly, everybody else. Um, my name's Petey York. That's Carrie O, Devil Cry 3. Have a good night. We will see you next week. <laughs>